Hello, welcome to the Jeffrey Podcast. My name is Gordon, and this is a podcast about music where I and my brother John Hello. talk through the careers and albums of our featured artist. We rank the albums, picking our favourite tracks, creating a playlist that you can find on Spotify. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Today's podcast is about Pink Floyd. So we start off by saying how we discovered the group. So John, what was your first experience of Pink Floyd? I think it was receiving a copy of the final cut for my Christmas present around the time it came out, so about 1983 or something like that, because I'd asked for a Pink Floyd album in my in, on my Santa list, and that's the one that arrived. It's a strange choice by Santa, I would say, as, a, as an introduction. Well, it was the, the album at the time, and it therefore... Uh, I guess that's the one that Santa saw when he went into HMV Records because that would have been the one that was promoted most obviously at the time, it, be, it being the current album. But I'd heard of Pink Floyd, obviously. It's not like we unearthed a, a hidden gem or anything. Uh, at school, they were just one of the bands that loads of people liked and I kind of didn't really know much about them except having heard Another Brick in the Wall when it was a hit around you know a couple of years before that. So I knew that song. And I, everyone was talking about how amazing Pink Floyd were, so I decided I was going to like them. Um, and Santa obliged. Excellent. That was good of Santa. Yeah. Although I think Santa, in this came, this case, came in the person of our Aunt Fiona. It may have been from her. I may be confusing things here. But it, okay. was, on my, it was on my Santa list. I suppose not, not too critical detail of the story. No, no. But it would, it would, it would explain why I got the wrong album. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We could always pause and give them a call if you want to uh, research this I don't know. I don't know, because um, I, it doesn't really matter. It's not the key point, I agree. But um, they were also guilty of buying me my first Rush album, which we'll talk about when we do Rush, because uh, inexplicably they bought me on a tape. Okay. Which meant that I was stuck with it because I couldn't afford to, to then get the album. So I was stuck with having the bloody thing on a tape. Okay. Yeah, if you have to tell me, what album was it? Signals. Okay. Which then you gave me on vinyl. Did I? I can't remember yeah. that. Well, it was only about a few months ago. Oh, yeah. Okay. I can remember that. Yes, I should hope so. Yeah, fair enough. But back to the Floyd, what was your first experience? I think it was when you had tickets to see Pink Floyd in Manchester, which was the Delicate Sound of Thunder Momentary Lapse of Reason tour. Yeah. And you had a spare ticket, and you asked me if I wanted to go. And I didn't I didn't really know. I knew Pink Floyd a little bit by then, but not much. And I think I just knew that if I didn't go, I would regret it. And so I said yes, despite not really knowing how much I'd like it. You must have known them a bit, though, because I played them incessantly in my teen years. So you must have like, uh, you know, you must have heard them just by ambient noise in the house for, I will for have, like three um, or four year period. There was virtually yeah. nothing else on my turntable. Yeah, I will. I will have heard bits, but I remember not sort of not focusing thinking. On it. Yes, I must go, kind of thing. But then, but thinking rather, I think I probably should go. I think I will regret if I don't, which was true. Well, when seeing as we got stuck on the M62 and missed half the concert because the car broke down, there must have been moments when you doubted your decision at that point. But it was quite good fun, and also in hindsight, we missed the first half and saw the whole second half, which had the better earlier stuff in it true the first half was mainly a momentary lapse of reason stuff so yeah you know whereas the second half was a sort of best of set which as an introduction was actually quite good for me yeah 
and although you know main road as it was at isn't a great venue wasn't a great venue obviously no longer exists wasn't a great venue and i we were because we arrived so late we were shoved at the side and it was quite far back and i bought a dodgy program which wasn't an official program um, which still still annoys me now it cost me five pounds which is a lot of money in those days but it was just some photocopied crap that some some ne'er-do-well was selling pretending was a real program bastard still annoys me yeah because that was quite a lot because the concert ticket i think was 16 pounds yeah it was expensive for the time it's, it's not cheap yeah yeah not cheap at all for those days when concerts were much cheaper compared to what mm. they are like now but it was good it was very good and then we saw them again in nebworth probably i don't know three four years later or something like that where they closed that concert that had a, a million different bands on they yeah. were the, the headline which apparently really annoyed paul mccartney who is used to being the headlining act but because pink floyd demanded darkness so their all their lasers and crap would work and they got put on at the last act but yeah i think that put mr mccartney's nose out of joint never mind i mean pink floyd did end up being on so late it was probably better for him actually Maybe, maybe. I mean, Paul McCartney was great as well, of course. Of course he was. And um, as was pretty much everybody, I, I seem to remember being... It was a pretty good concert, actually. Yes. Yeah, we I don't remember all... there being a duffer, a duff act, really. Even Cliff was all right, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. No, I liked Cliff. He, he sang a lot of the older rock and roll stuff, didn't he? So it, it yeah. was good. Yeah. So Sid Barrett and Roger Waters were from Cambridge. Actually, so was David Gilmore, but he wasn't in the band at the beginning. And they met with... Rick Wright and Nick Mason in London. They were studying at a polytechnic, studying architecture. And there's various kind of variations of the band in those early years, but they ended up as those four. And they sort of, uh, Nick Mason sort of in self, typical self-deprecating style says that they were just wanted to be a pop group. And it was either play reggae, which they were absolutely terrible at doing, or go down this route of playing sort of psychedelia, because they were sort of seen as the two next big things. And he said they were so crap, they just couldn't really play reggae or anything like that. So they just played this kind of slightly incoherent psychedelic stuff and just sort of stumbled into being the sort of darling band of the London Underground and sort of UFO club regulars. You got it about that. So it's just it's when they they got a record contract, didn't they, In, uh, in at that time? They'd been playing in the UFO club and whatever, being quite experimental. Then they got this record contract and uh, we get Piper with the Gates of Dawn. Yeah, and it's very Sid Barrett-led. Sid Barrett's the songwriter, the singer, the guitarist, uh, and the other three are still contributing. But, I mean, Sid Barrett is clearly the band leader at this point, and he's the, the, he's the one that's kind of the, the music press are talking about as being the, the wayward genius who's doing all this crazy psychedelic stuff, which I imagine most people didn't really understand that well and therefore assumed it was genius. Because unless you take the drugs, I'm not entirely sure it works. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And that, I was going to say sort of very similar things. They, uh, I think everyone was taking a lot of drugs at this point, band and audience. And I think that's probably a necessary requirement to fully enjoy all this. Well, I don't think the band were. I mean, apart from Sid Barrett, obviously, who was famously, you know, off his tits pretty much uh, all the time, poor fella. He was um, apparently taking quite a lot of acid um, to, to the point where, of course, we know had uh, affected his, his sanity, unfortunately. But I don't think the rest of the band were. They were sort of famously big drinkers, but they weren't really druggies at that point, or at any point. I think they were, not not particularly with acid, but I think, you know, with marijuana, were indulging quite heavily, I think. Well, I don't, I don't think that happened. Well, maybe. I, don't, I hadn't heard that, but I don't know. I mean, that obviously wouldn't have the same effect. 
you no. just sit you just sit in the corner being quite boring, wouldn't you? Rather than just sort of dancing there, dancing away in in a trance, which is yeah. which is how what, when you look back at the UFO club and you see the band playing and they've got all these projections because they were one of the first bands to talk about, about having actually projections onto the band as well as sort of swirly swirly colorful thingies and you see people kind of lost in dance and kind of just one presumes on drugs and listening to these kind of hypnotic quite lengthy pieces and and i think the album is very much of its time it's to me sounds very dated the production i think is quite tinny and just it's not a full sound it feels quite amateurish almost but there are some really good songs on it and there's some really good stuff on it but it just feels it doesn't feel that relevant today but when you hear some more modern versions like if you hear the the current sort of David Gilmour band or David Gilmour led Pink Floyd playing Astronomy Domini for example it's it's a great song it's really good but on this album I don't think it's that good I don't think anything sounds that good on this album what do you think I agree largely with what you've said it, it... The sound isn't great. I think a lot of the songs are really just like sort of dark nursery rhymes, aren't they? And I, it's really not for me. I find some of it like a little bit embarrassing and I just don't don't like it. I agree there are some good songs on there as well. Astronomy Domini is, I think, my favourite on there. Um, but most of it I don't, don't really like that much, I have to say. No, I think dark nursery rhymes is good because it tends to be either this sort of swirly psychedelic instrumental... I think probably Interstellar Overdrive is the best example of that. Or it tends to be almost childlike whimsy, which I just find a little bit irritating. And I think that's what you mean by this by the nursery rhyme element. Yes. You just think, oh, you know, I, I fail to see the genius of Sid Barrett, I admit it. I, I fail to see that. Yeah, me too. And I think if you do want to listen to the Sid Barrett stuff, actually solo stuff I think is, is a bit better. It sounds better. It's a little bit sort of scaled down a little bit. And I don't know whether the production's better or whatever, but I've, I've listened to it a couple of times in sort of research for this. And I think I, I would much rather listen to his solo albums than, than this one. Yeah, I think that's a, I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. And I mean, Sid Barrett was a very compelling figure. He was quite charismatic. And at the time, I think he was. People talked about him as a as a genius figure who was doing things that no one else else had ever done before. So I'm sure if you're looking at it from the point of view of 1967, that's how you might see it. But we're not. We're looking at it from the point of view of 2020. And this isn't the Pink Floyd I fell in love with. It's to me, it's some of it's definitely grown on me, and I do enjoy some of it. But I just don't think it's all right. For me, it's a kind of it's a a two point four star album or two point three six star album according to my system, according to my system, um, and that's kind of and that's Astronomy Dominic's doing a lot of the work. Yeah, and I think as I said, his solo stuff is better, and in a way, his solo stuff is kind of a bit is almost a Pink Floyd album as well because Pink Floyd were, I think David Gilmour particularly were doing the production and playing a lot of the instruments on it. Apparently he would go into the studio and play a song and it would never play at the same time twice. So they basically just got him to record and then, you know, work the music around him. So it's, it is all like the solo albums. I think it is sort of, um, you know, a, t- a team effort there with them as well. Yeah, I mean, they've felt pretty bad about what happened to him, of course, and still do. They still It's still something they talk about, even today. So yeah. perhaps that was part of their way of dealing with that. Yeah, and they probably felt a little bit guilty about basically kicking him out of the band. Although, I mean, 
I think they, from what I've heard, they had to. He was so unreliable. Yeah, yeah. That they basically just didn't bother picking him up one day and just carried on without him. Well, we'll get on to that in a sec, because obviously that leaks into the next album. Look, we need to pick tracks for this. Okay. And obviously we're going for Astronomy Dominic, because we've both mentioned it as our favourite track. Yeah. So what would be your suggestion for the second track to pick off this album? I think either... Well, I've got three, I would say. So Lucy for Sam, or Power Talk H, or Interstellar Overdrive. Oh, okay, interesting. Lucifer Sam's all right. I think Power R Talk H, that's, that's, I'd have to double check actually. I don't have the details in front of me, but I seem to think that's not a Sid Barrett song. It isn't. It's, it's the whole band. Right. Okay. I thought that was. It's, uh, um, I just have a look at the page. It says it's in, instrumental, but it's written by the whole band. So including right. Barrett. But, uh, okay. Oh, okay. I remember thinking it had a different process or writers or whatever. Interstellar Overdrive, of course, is is probably the other big big chap on the on the album, apart from Astronomy Domini, and it's one that shows up later on Omagumma, because it obviously was one of their major live tracks at the time. But it's nearly ten minutes long, and that's a lot of album to occupy for something which I don't think is quite good enough to take up that much space. Do you know what I mean? It's all right. It's fine. It's, it's probably the, is the second strongest track on the album, but it's a lot of space it takes up. Yeah, I, I think the, I mean, for me, the whole or most of the album is quite weak anyway. So it's it's those four songs. I think Power Talk H, I've got a second. Well, I also had Bike. Okay. Because uh, although having just trashed Sid Barrett for, for whimsy, I'm now proposing the most whimsical of all the tracks. But it is kind of, I, I do like Bike. I think it's it's where it, the, the balance is about right in terms of the charm of it, or at least until it gets onto the silly ducky bit at the end. Mm. And I, I think it's it's almost kind of quintessential Sid Barrett. And since it's quite a nice sing-along little pop thing that's quite silly, but also got a kind of childlike innocence about it. And it's a it's a love song. So I, I'm fond of it. Okay. So we, we could put that... Of, of the whimsical ones, it is the one I like best. So that's top whimsy. And, and it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it would... Uh, Reflect the album better, I suppose, to have one of those on, because there is at least half an album of it, of this whimsy stuff. Okay, well, if you're all right with that, we can go with the the tracks that the beginning and end track, then. Astronomy, Domini and Bike. Yes. They go on to, as you've just described, basically kicks Sid Barrett out the band just by not picking him up one day, because he's become so unreliable that when they're playing live, they just don't know whether he's going to play or not. They don't know what's going to happen they get David Gilmore in, who's their friend from Cambridge, to help out just to play live guitar, just so and, and sing, and put Sid Barrett in a kind of writing and creative genius role, but not have to rely on him for actually playing live. But then, as you said, eventually they just stop picking him up because there's no point. And the poor, the poor guy's essentially we know now suffering from schizophrenia, but we didn't know that then. And they carry on as a briefly as a five piece, and then as a four piece, but with David Gilmore on guitar and vocals instead of Sid Barrett. But the songwriting, although all the band get involved, Roger Waters is already starting to carry a bit more of that burden than the others. And they produce A Source Full of Secrets, their second yeah. album. Yeah. Hot, only hot on one... the heels, really, isn't it? It's hot on the heels. It's the next year, 1968. Yeah. And there's only one song written by Sid Barrett on this album. Yeah, Jug Band Blues, although he does play on two or three of them. Yeah, he's on three tracks, but he wrote one of them. So what do you think? I think it's a lot better. 
I think it starts really well. The bass at the beginning, it sounds oh, it's brilliant, isn't like, it? Like it could be, it could have been released this year. Yeah. And then obviously, as the song goes on, obviously it's quite clearly not 2020. Yeah. But um, <laughs> it doesn't get better than that opening bass line, does it? Of let, let it there be more no. light. No. It promises more, but then under delivers. Yes, unfortunately. But it, I mean, still, I still quite still like good. the song. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, but yes, it, it, the opening is great. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot better. It's a lot more varied. Still quite experimental and goes goes off a bit. I mean, it's a bit too experimental. I think sometimes you should learn that you don't have to record all your experiments, and some of them should should go in the bin. And I think there are bits <laughs> on true. here that, that that fall into that category. I mean, the title track, A Source Full of Secrets, the first sort of eight and a half minutes of it, um, I could quite happily do without. And then it it gets, you know, and the last bit is is really nice. Yeah, the piano bit and the singing yes yeah yeah but the first bit i could um quite happily live without thank you quite agree yeah, i agree with everything you've said i think it's a darker sound i think as well just to add to what you said apart from that i would agree with you but it does have a slightly darker more somber feel about it that's what maybe that comes from the set the controls which is sort of feels like it's kind of the heart of the album and that's quite a dark and hollow song i think i think corporal clegg feels to me like that's pink floyd trying to trying to do Sid Barrett it feels very it's whimsy up to 11 it's a bit silly it's quite fun but it's it doesn't it feels like they're just trying to ape Sid Barrett rather than do their own thing yeah probably that's a Roger Waters one isn't it and it's yeah when he's taking over and he's probably trying to keep the audience happy by having a bit more sort of Sid Barrett style stuff on there but obviously it doesn't really work but that said I mean the Sid Barrett song I don't I don't particularly like no, I, I don't. I agree with you. I think it's one of the weakest on the album. Oh yeah, definitely. Certainly, side one is definitely for me a lot stronger than side two. Yes. The first four songs, I'm saying, I think I, I enjoy all of them. I like all of them. As the last three, I could I'd quite happily just you know not have that side of the album. Just have a one-sided album. Yeah. Well, I, I think it, there is half an album that's better in there, but I'm not sure it's the first four tracks. Oh, okay. But yeah, I think the, the two best tracks are on the first half. If you want to move stop on being, to the tracks. Stop being so cryptic. Which are they then? Okay, well, let, let There Be More Light and yep. Set the Controls for the Heart of the Sun. Okay. I like those two. I don't really like the other two tracks on the first half. Okay. I, I also like those two. Um, the only I would add in Remember a Day. I think that's a really nice, it's a Richard Wright song. And I, I do really like that. So for me, the first three tracks are the strongest. Corporal Clegg I quite enjoy, but, I, you know, it's not that great. Completely agree with you about Source Full of Secrets. It's a waste of time for eight and a half minutes, and then it's quite nice. And the last two, to me, are just sort of throwaway tracks I can barely even concentrate on. Okay. So are you happy to pick those two tracks I set? Yeah, yeah. Let there be more light and set the controls. Okay. And ranking-wise, it's a Source Full of Secrets goes above Piper of the Gates of Dawn. Definitely, yeah. I don't know if everybody would agree with that. I don't think that's an entirely uncontroversial comment. Some people really kind of admire that early Sid Barrett stuff. But for me, never quite got it. And I think this is a, a, a big step. It's a step forward, but it's very much within the same genre. It's them just trying to extend what already worked for them and doing it as well as they could. I don't think it's them trying to break any barriers or anything. So I don't want to kind of overplay it. It's, it's good. It's not, a, it's not an album I put on very often. I think you can see with the song A Source Full of Secrets as well how they develop going on like with some of the longer songs because they keep trying to do I think sort of a perfect half a record song and you can see sort of how this kind of develops 
into something like Echoes later on. Obviously, Echoes is, is a lot better. Yeah, of course, yeah. I was going to say, refer to the album covers as well here, because I think this is the first Storm Ferguson one, I think. But it's not 100% clear what it's of. No, uh, I mean, I quite like the album cover of Piper. I, I wouldn't say it's brilliant, but I do quite like it. No, that that was... Um, it's just some kind of strange kaleidoscope lens that George Harrison had, and they borrowed off him and just took a picture of the band with that. Oh, I, I do quite like that. I don't know, it's just, it just suits the album. I, I just think it's nice, and it feels of its time. It just it feels like a just the right packaging. Uh, a Source for the Secrets, eh, it's, it's kind of a, just a vague blobby cover. It's quite nice colours, quite nice swirly thing, but it's nothing special. I don't think much of it. No, I, I agree. It, it's perfectly nice, but it's not. Um, it doesn't blow you away, does it? So you can't. Oh, it's all right. To be honest, tell really what it is. They then are asked to make a film score, and I kind of get the feeling at this point the band the, the band, This is when the band are really getting used to not being with Sid Barrett. Whereas I think on Source for the Secrets, he's on half of it. He wrote one of the songs. They are trying to copy him with most of the other songs. Whereas now they're actually sort of in a world, and I think a bit lost at this point. They don't quite know what band they want to be. Because I think the whole psychedelia thing is not really taking off. It's a bit inaccessible. It's not really the way things are going. And I think at this point they're feeling a little bit lost. They're not a band of virtuoso musicians or anything. So they take on this film soundtrack. And obviously it's a soundtrack, so it's going to be different than an album. Because obviously film soundtracks are meant to be in the background most of the time anyway. So it's a bit. It feels a little bit unfair comparing it to a proper album. But what do you think? Yeah. So I'm going to now be unfair about it because I, <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure they should have should have released it as an album. To be honest, I don't. I don't think throughout it's that strong enough. There's a couple of alright tracks on it, but um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure it's it's sort of interesting enough, really. I suppose you know, in not being around at the time, it's probably holds like a proper place in their history as people bought it and. Certainly, like, the second album doesn't really have much psychedelia in it anyway, so I guess people are used to the fact that Pink Floyd are moving on. But, yeah, I, I, to be honest, I don't think I write a lot about the album. There, there is some OK stuff on it. Again, there's, like, half an album of probably OK stuff and half an album of stuff I wouldn't wouldn't bother with. Yeah, I think that's a really good summary. I wouldn't really much to add, really. I think, yeah... <laughs> I, I, yeah, it is odd when a band do... A, I think every band that I can think of that's done a... There aren't many that have done um, a soundtrack album. It's never... It's always been their kind of weak point. If you think about Queen doing Flash Gordon or Prince doing Batman, it's you. It's always the weak point because obviously a lot of the music is just background It's just, or just snippets. They're not even proper formed songs. So it does never really satisfying as a, as a soundtrack album, really. Uh, as an album, sorry. Mm-hmm might be good as a soundtrack i've never seen the film but it's yeah as, as a as an album it's just blah i mean they, they are kind of like it's a bit more normal you know if you put on piper or source for the secrets you'd be thinking what's if you didn't know anything about them you might think oh my god this is weird what the hell's going on whereas this is a bit more normal you've got normal instruments playing sort of fairly normally <laughs> so it is um getting a bit more accessible in a in a sense yeah, I suppose it's kind of a stepping stone, isn't it, towards the, the later Pink Floyd? Yeah. It, I don't think I would ever choose to listen to this, though. There are a couple of tracks that I would choose to listen to, though. I would never listen to the whole album, I don't think, uh, unless forced. But there are a couple of tracks that I do rate quite highly. 
So I'd be interested to know what your top tracks are. Okay. I have Cymbeline and Main Theme and Cirrus Minor. I think they're probably my top three. Interesting. I, I don't like Cirrus Minor at all. Okay. I do like the Nile song. I have a, a soft spot for the Nile song, definitely. I like Green is the Colour. I completely agree on Cymbeline. I think that's the top track on the album. Okay. So let's let's put that on because we agree on the top track. And I also like Main Theme. I agree with you about Main Theme. That was That's another one. And I quite like Ibiza Bar and, and, and in fact, more blues after it. I quite like that. So there's a little section there that I do quite like. Yeah, Ibiza Bar is one of my higher ones as well. But I'm happy to go with Main Theme if you want that as the other one. I would have probably picked the Nile song as a more structured song, but you didn't mention it. So if you want to put Main Theme, that's fine. Okay. I'll put what I, I'll put on Main Theme then. It's a bit more representative of the album, I think, Main Theme. And ranking-wise, do you want it above Piper of the Gates of Dawn, or do you want it at the bottom still? I'd keep it at the bottom, to be honest. Yeah, I would. So, the next album, Umma Gumma, from 1969. So they're knocking the albums out. I think the last one only took about two weeks to record the more soundtrack. It shows soundtrack. as well. Umma Gumma is it's more solo work, isn't it? Because they, they decide, they basically give each other half a, half a side to work on each and then the other disc is a live live album, which we're not going to be assessing from this point of view. So the solo work, John, what do you think of that? Well, well, first of all, just to say on the live album, we, we don't because we don't do live albums um, on this podcast, but I think the live album is actually really good and they are really good versions of the songs on there. I think it's a really good version of Astronomy Domini and I think it's the only place you can hear Careful with that axe, Eugene, as well. So the live album I actually think is good. But if we're only judging it on the other album, which is what we said, yeah, it was. I think Rick Wright said it right. He said it's a failed experiment, and I think it is. I think it's uh, indulgent, dreadful shite, basically. I think there's there's barely a, a, a thing you can rescue on this. Perhaps if they'd been working together, some of the kind of nice piano in uh, Sisyphus would have fitted nicely into a bit of the the melody of the narrow way and it may be a bit of the sort of Roger Waters silliness of several species. Maybe it could have been a song. Maybe if you put all these ideas into one place, you might have got one song. Maybe. Yeah. So, you're not keen then? No. I think I agree. It's complete rubbish, isn't it? Yeah. 95% of it is unlistenable rubbish, I would say, as well. The thing is, if you're in a band and you're writing a song, if you come in with this idea of, hey, I'm going to do this, and I'm, I have to write it with you, I'm going to say if I don't like it, and you're going to say you don't like my ex- ideas, and that's how we both get better in quality control. I mean, obviously, that can lead to conflict. But if you're just saying, no, you do your own bit for half an album, I won't comment, it's yours. And there's no one checking out your bad ideas. So you get something you know, like Nick Mason's bit there, the Grand Vizier's Garden Party, and clearly someone should have just said, Nick, fuck off. That's not going on an album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on. Even something yeah. like Sisyphus Part 2, which, I, which I'm going to suggest as one of the tracks, which I do quite like, essentially it's just somebody dicking about on a piano. It's quite nice, but it's just it's aimless dicking about on a piano. If that had been part of a song, you'd have gone, Rick, that's nice. Let's turn it into something structured. Let's tighten it up. You wouldn't have just said, yeah, that's great. Let's just bung it on. There you go. It just lacks any kind of bringing it together in any kind of structured way. Yeah. I think, like like you say, if it's a band, they do pick each other up on their bad ideas. And this is largely a collection of bad ideas. 
they they do and they also build on each other's good ideas and and maybe a spark off each other's ideas so as, as soon as you're sort of taking that completely out of the equation and everyone's just doing their own thing you lose an enormous amount but it's an experiment and you know experiments are, are good things and i think around this time as well they had this idea to make an album just using household objects like avoiding all instruments which never quite worked so i, I and perhaps this is just a, a a product of them not actually being virtuoso musicians, unlike a lot of their contemporaries at the time. Maybe that's what made them just look a lot more broadly and a lot more open-mindedly, at just trying loads of different ways to make music, which at this point in their history is failing. But, you know, we know they succeed later. Yeah, and I think that the press actually received this quite well. It, it did get quite good reviews at the time, which I think shows that there was still quite a lot of drugs knocking around. Well, there is a story of somebody reviewing a John Lennon album and saying it was amazing, masterful, brilliant. And they phoned, they were talking to John Lennon about it, saying how good it was. And it turned out that they'd reviewed the test signal that was on part B. And John Lennon was laughing and saying, that's not the album. The album's on the other side or something like that. Or they'd played, I don't know exactly how they'd come to play the wrong thing. But they they sort of listened to this basically 45 minute single tone and just thought it was this avant-garde work of genius so if people were at that point in time the sort of that late 60s early 70s thinking something like that was you know great art this doesn't sound too bad in comparison does it yes it it puts it into a little bit of perspective there yeah although i'd still probably listen to that than nick mason's bit on here to be honest (laughs) (laughs) yeah so we we need to try and pick two tracks off here so you've already said was it um sisyphus part two you want on yeah, my, my two were Sisyphus Part 2 and The Narrow Way Part 3. That, they were my suggestions because obviously I anticipated the question. So I was thinking about it as I laboured my way through this, sulkily going through this pile of crap. Yeah, I mean, they, I, I'm fine with that. I mean, the, I have to say, David Gilmore's bit, which is The Narrow Way, is by far the most listenable. Yeah, and I think that reflects David Gilmore as a songwriter. and He is, by his own admission, a sort of quite a good melodic songwriter, but he lacks edge. And that's certainly true of his solo work. It's got some nice harmonies and melodies and whatnot, but it's it's just a bit dull. Uh, whereas Roger Waters, by comparison, is pretty much all edge. <laughs> so um, together they work well, as we'll find out, of course. Yes, yeah. But not yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But very soon, very soon. Indeed. So that was that was on the gummer, wasn't it? So yeah. oh, we need to rank the album, don't we? I think we already have. So it's dropped in at the bottom. I think it needs yeah. to stay there, doesn't it? It really, really does. Yeah. So next, we're hitting the 70s now. So 1970s, Atom Heart Mother. Yeah, this coincides with um, Roger Waters making his first solo album as well, Music from the Body, which he made with Ron Giesin, who's also involved in Atom Heart Mother. So it must have been around the same time. It's a, his solo album that often gets overlooked. Yeah, I don't think I've heard it. I, it's not good. I wouldn't worry about it. Again, I think it's a soundtrack. Okay, yes, I think you're right, actually, yeah. So for Atom Heart Mother, is this an improvement? A vast improvement. I mean, I think this is, to me, is the first proper post-Sid Barrett Pink Floyd album because Saucerful is still reeks of Sid Barrett and he's still involved. More is just a soundtrack. Umagum is an experiment where they didn't even work together. So this is the first time they've really sat down and said, right, what's our follow-up to the Sid Barrett era? And they produced Atom Heart Mother, which is, I think, their first number one album as well in the UK. 
and a very odd cover actually we didn't mention the cover of Irma Gummer, which actually i think is a great cover it's the definitely the best thing about the album <laughs> but but the cover of atom heart mother is a big, big picture of a cow which is really weird but it's very striking hmm. lulu bell the third is that the name of the cow that's the name of the cow yeah that's an odd piece of trivia to have at your fingertips well it was on wikipedia it was in the book i've read as well actually but it's on wikipedia as well it's nice to know the cow's name yeah i guess i guess it doesn't feel that important to me but okay Especially as, you know, the last track on the album is somebody basically eating a cow hmm. for breakfast. <laughs> um, it's probably a pig, actually, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, side one is taken up with one big long track, Atom Heart Mother, which they wrote together, plus with Ron Giesin. And it's uh, odd, an odd piece, but I do love it. You know, I really do like it, but it is weird, and it doesn't sound very Pink Floydy. Only here and there can you hear a bit of Pink Floyd in there. Uh, David Gilmore's really starting to assert himself as a guitarist a lot more it's the first time we start to really hear solos and a much more dominant guitar sound and then you've got three tracks on side b which written one by uh roger waters one by rick wright one by david gilmore all three i think are really good and then you've got alan's psychedelic breakfast which i think is lets it down a bit at the end but apart from that i think it's a, a cracker a really good album what do you think i largely agree yeah atom art Bother is enjoyable i think largely it is quite long for the number of ideas that they've um, crammed in there it reminds me a bit of uh, the hitchhiker's guide theme you know the brass bits when that goes on, yeah which yeah, is yeah. done by uh, eagles isn't it I don't um know. sorry i don't know yeah it's done by eagles eagles the band eagles oh the oh right the aren't they the eagles i i think they're just eagles Are but, they? but it is them yeah anyway okay I think everyone if you said say it's done by eagles, it does sound like the bird rather than the band. That's why I was slightly confused for a moment. Yeah, no, the band, the okay. eagles, if you want. Yeah, so it sounds like that, I think. But it, it is enjoyable, I say, a little bit over long. I think they probably dragged it out because they wanted to fill the whole side. And I agree on side two. It's generally all right stuff. Alan's Psychedelic Breakfast would fit nicely on Umma I think. <laughs> it would be the best track if it did. I don't think, I don't think it's... I don't think it would. Oh, really? <laughs> you put it that low. Yeah, it's complete crap, I would say. Um, but the but the rest of it, the other three songs on it are all quite nice. Some are 68, less so, but If and Fatos, some fine. Our, our uncle saw Pink Floyd around this time at Leeds Town Hall, and he said that they did Alan Sackett at breakfast, and they were actually cooking breakfast on stage to make the sounds of the sizzling baker and everything. That might but be that does they hand it out afterwards, like I, idiot, I don't know. a bacon bap. I don't know, you have to ask him next time we see him. But, uh, well, I mean, I, I anticipate a little bit of a tussle here then, because if we have to pick three tracks, one of mine was Summer of 68. Well, we have to pick two tracks. Did I say three? Sorry, two. But one of mine that I was going to suggest was Summer of 68. Yeah, well, we're quite limited in the fact that I don't think we can pick Atom Heart Mother because it's so long. Yeah, I agree. So we've got to pick the other two. So which? Um, so and we're not I'm, picking Alan's psychedelic breakfast. No. So we're picking two or three. Yeah, and we agree on if. Okay, so we'll pick if. Because I think you said if as well. I think yes. it's a lovely track, the Roger Waters track. And you want some of '68 rather than Fat Old Son, basically. Yeah, I like Fat Old Son as well, but I prefer Summer of '68. Okay, we can go with that. Okay, all right then. That was easy. I think yeah. I thought there'd be more of a tussle there. No, no, I'm okay with those three tracks. It's not um, a a big difference. So ranking, where do you want this on the rank? Oh, I think it shoots straight to the top. I agree. I think there's there's starting, on on side two in particular, they're starting to find their feet, I think. 
Side one, although I, I love it, it is a kind of a bit of an overblown mess in a very lovely, charming way. Yeah. And I also and agree, a... sorry, I, I was going to say as well that, that what you said as well about this like, feels like the first sort of proper 70s Pink Floyd album, basically. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the second, like you say, the post, uh, post-Sid Barrett. Also, I mean, the production of it, I think, is just a, a million steps forward as well. It just feels a lot more sophisticated the way it's been put together. It just feels like a just a nicer, warmer, more solidly put-together album. And talking of well-put-together, decent albums, they then progress, I think, from this one to make metal, which I think is often regarded as one of their really quite strong albums. I think slightly overrated, but we shall see what you think. Metal, 1971's follow-up. I would say it's probably slightly underrated, Ah, interesting. Because I think it does. It is in the shadow of I think of the of what's to come a little bit. Whereas I don't think it really should be. I think it stands up there with them. I do think it, it's really strong and varied. And I know there's a couple of like silly tracks. You know, "Pillow of Winds" is not the best song. Sam Tropez and Seamus are sort of a little bit throwaway and silly, but it's all quite enjoyable. Echoes is, I think, brilliant. I do think it's a shame about the four minutes of Wales song in the middle. I really do think it is. I wish they could have actually just written some music. (laughs) Um, But if you take that out, it it really is a brilliant track, you know. Oh, Echoes is just outstanding. I mean, it's so much better than anything they've done before and still stands up today as absolutely brilliant. And and when you see David Gilmore doing it live, as he did sort of around the On an Island tour um, a few years ago, it's absolutely the highlight of the concert. It's, It's just fantastic. I completely agree with you about the whale song. At the time, I can see maybe it, it kind of whale song was, it wasn't such a, a thing then. So it probably would have been quite, you know, interesting to put whale song in the middle of a song. Yeah, four minutes though. The four minutes, yeah, four minutes. I think is yeah. You've made your point. Like yeah. three minutes fifty-five seconds ago. And that version you said, you know, that they did on David Gilmour's solo tour, they still had the whale noise in there. They didn't just think, all right, we'll just go straight from part one to part two. Yeah, and I yeah, I and I think that was I think you need a you do need a break in it and this is a bit of a, a Pink Floyd trope where they have the kind of down bit in the middle of a song. It is something that they do fairly often with the longer songs. But yeah, it's too long that bit. But it, you know, that's it, it's still a five-star song. It's it, it's fantastic. I, I totally agree with you about Seamus. It's just a silly throwaway thing. It doesn't do any harm because it's very short whereas Saint-Tropez I think is throwaway Roger Waters track which does do more harm because it's slightly longer. So it feels a bit in the way. Whereas a, a Pillow of Winds, you said you didn't like so much. I really do. And I like Fearless. And of course, One of These Days I really like as well. So the first two tracks I do really like and Echoes I really like. But as a whole experience, I, I don't feel it's anywhere near a par to what's to come. It still feels, you know, if this was kind of all they ever did, albums a bit like this. Well, I don't know. It's a bit unfair because Echoes is so good. Side one, if all their other albums were like side one, you'd just think, meh, all right. Would you really? I mean, like, like one of these days and Fearless. And I think but Pillow Winds probably suffers from being in between those two rather than it being a particularly bad track. But I think one yeah, of these it, days and Fearless are both, both crackers. Yeah, but, I mean, a whole album with two good songs on it. You, you yeah, but it's think... half an album with... A whole album with four good songs on it. OK, well, yeah. Yeah, okay. That's maybe. half an album. If, if half an album's good, I think that's all right. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. But that's what I'm saying. It's all right. But I do like it as an album because Echoes brings it up to being a whole new level. 
But I just think side one is is anywhere near the same level. And you're right to pick out one of these days and Fearless. I think they're the two tracks on, on side one. But yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's good. So, yeah. Okay. What, tra- what tracks are we going to pick? Well, I think we're going to pick one of these days and Fearless. I, I think we have... Do we not have to put Echoes on? I don't think... At 23 minutes, should we? Really? Um, it, it, it feels like... It just seems odd not to, because I mean it's just such a such a stormer, it's just such a big beast. How can we not put it on? Well, I think the argument against it is the length of the track, isn't it? Because it's yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. It's on a sort of supposedly introductory playlist. You want to put a twenty-three minute song that is ultimately half an album. All right, all right. We'll go for one of these days and fearless. But I've got a secret idea in my back pocket, which I'm going to bring up at the end. Okay. When when we do the post the post-podcast discussion thing at the end. So, ranking the album? I would say it goes to the top. I would put it above Atom Heart Mother, I think, on the strength of Echoes. Yeah, I mean, definitely for me. I don't think it's a definite progression from Atom Heart Mother. But obviously, I like it more than you do, so that's probably no great surprise to you. Okay, so they do meddle... And this is kind of, they really feel they found their feet with Echoes and we're really pleased with that. I think the first thing that they'd done, big thing that they'd ever done together, they were really genuinely all absolutely pleased with. And they go on to start making Dark Side of the Moon. However, then they get asked to do a soundtrack. So they're still making Dark Side of the Moon, they're trying it out and they're playing it live and things like that. But they sort of break off to do a soundtrack to the film The Valley. And due to some argument with the director of that they end up changing the name to obscured by clouds and they produced another soundtrack album what do you think of this one well it's another soundtrack recorded in two weeks and i would say it's probably a similar result i think it is a better album than the the more but i think certainly if i'd have bought this after metal i'd be bitterly disappointed and uh, there there is one or two bits on here that's okay but i think ultimately it's the same as the the other the other soundtrack I'm sure it's fine as a soundtrack, but you know, I'm not sure it's overly worthily worthy of being being released sort of as a standalone album. I, I think it's better than that, but not much. So I think it is. It does just about work as an album. Although I agree with you, it would be a massive step down from Metal and Atom Heart Mother. And if I'd been buying at the time, yes, I would have also been disappointed. And I remember actually getting this album, and it was. I was really into Pink Floyd at the time and this was the album immediately preceding Dark Side of the Moon and straight after Metal I thought this has got to be a belter and I sort of rushed home quite excitedly expecting to be blown away as I had been with most of their other you know good albums and just listening thinking what am I missing this just feels so meh there's a few nice bits in it of course there are but I remember just feeling that exact sense of this is just really it's, it's just not it's just nothing special and Pink Floyd for me always had something special, and this isn't. There's nothing. There's some good stuff on it, but it doesn't have that special thing. Yeah. So, should we go straight to tracks? Yeah. Sure. What What do you want to pick? Well, I think there's a cluster of four that I think are the the, the highlight of the album, which start with "What's the Deal," which is, I think, a pretty good song. "Mud Men," which is probably the weakest of these four I'm about to mention, but there's some really nice David Gilmour guitar in there, and you can hear him really getting quite good 
at the way he's constructing solos and stuff. Obviously, he he excelled previously on metal as well, of course. But you can hear some stuff there which echo you you hear back in the future in in some of their future work. So I do think there's some quite nice David Gilmour stuff on Mud Men, and then Childhood's End, which is probably the best song on the album, maybe, and Free Four, which is quite a nice up tempo jolly. So I've got four. I've got a list of four as well. Okay, are they the same four? No. Is there any crossover? Three of them are the same. Oh, okay. Well, so my different people. one is Obscured by Clouds, the title track, the opening track. And which one do you drop out? Um, What's the deal? Oh, okay. I thought you'd quite like that one. So where, where we've got crossover is Mud Men, Childhood's End and Free Four. And Free Four, yeah. So if you want to pick two of those, I'm happy with that. Well, Childhood's End and maybe Free Four, just because I think it's... Mud Men is more similar to other stuff. Free Falls a bit different, a bit more light-hearted. Yeah, it is quite jolly, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. And what about ranking it? Well, that's a that's a that's a question, isn't it? Um, I would put it below Saucer Full of Secrets, probably above Piper. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Okay, I thought you might argue for Piper above it. Not really. I mean, I don't. I think both albums are probably similar. Actually, Obscured by Clouds has probably got more tracks on I would listen to, whereas Piper at the Gates of Dawn has probably only got a couple of tracks I would listen to on. So I think that's about right. And the cover, I think, is a bit of a nothingness, as as is Medal's cover. I, I'm not enjoying their album covers at this point. Yeah, Medal didn't work. It's Apparently it's an ear underneath some water. Well, like, even knowing that, I'm not sure I can even still see that. Yeah, it's... yeah. It's just, it's just an, uh, it just feels like a an abstract swirly thing, and obscured by clouds, an abstract obscurity thing. Yeah, that's a frame from the film apparently, which they then messed around with, which is the same with more apparently the, the cover for more, which is quite nice actually. It's the windmill and the orange yeah. color, and um, but that's again that's a frame from the film which they then messed around with. Talking of covers, we come into sort of the, probably their most famous cover, their iconic classic prism of light for dark side of the moon their next album 1973 obviously a massive massive smash hit top selling album in the world for the last 100 years or whatever huge breaks them massive they become superstars stadiums and everything complete change of everything at this point in terms of uh, the, the size and success of the band this well what do you think it seems almost silly to talk about this in the same way, the same breath, doesn't it? It's so familiar, this album. Well, first of all, I'll pick you up on the million years thing. As uh, I have interest here, it's it's 47, definitely. Right. It's no more. I thought more. it said 100, but... Oh, well, whatever. It's only 47 years it's been in the charts. D- definitely 47. That's quite a long run to be in the charts, isn't it? 47 years. It's not bad. And I, d- I do think as well... Is that your phone ringing? No, it waits our door. Can you hear it? Yeah. yeah. It's really, really loud, though, as you can probably tell. Yeah, having... As I've read a, read a book in research for this and did find out that the vocals for um, The Great Gig in the Sky were recorded on the day I was born. Oh, really? Yeah. That's the, probably why she sounds in such pain. Well, she wasn't near me. I assume she was down in London. Well, she, she's um, Claire Torrey, who did that singing. She's just been awarded royalties. I think, because essentially, over Rick Wright's piano piece, they said to her, just sing what you want, just do your thing. 
and she sort of did her thing, obviously, I guess, several times or whatever. But nobody told her to write that melody line that she sang. That was just her improvisation. So she deserves a writing credit for it, really, and she was rewarded with it, somewhat belatedly. Yes, that's right, yeah. And she was the person who sang it when we saw them live in Nebworth. That's correct, yes. And I believe your comment was, who the hell is she? I don't think she even heard the original. <laughs> was it? I don't <laughs> Yeah. Okay. And then David Gilmore said, that was Claire Torrey. And we're like, oh, okay, red face. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I don't remember that. I do remember it was her that that did it. But uh, yeah. So the album, yeah, it's quite good, isn't it? Well, it's just such a step in terms of the production quality. It still, to me, sounds, you know, absolutely brand spanking new today. Whereas all the stuff before this has some element of feeling a, a tiny bit dated, or in some cases very dated. Whereas this doesn't, it's immediately timeless. I think the exception there is actually on the run. I think that does well, sound a little bit dated. But yes, I, I take your point. Well, possibly, because obviously that was an early experiment into electronic music. So, yeah. Uh, possibly so. And I also think it's the weakest part of the album. Mm. Although I, I kind of quite like it as well. Yeah, I think they were apparently messing around with it and there was lots and lots of different versions and they ended up using this fancy new keyboard that I think Rick Wright had bought. And I think, personally, I think it's probably a shame. I think I I haven't heard, so I'm only guessing, but I imagine the previous versions I would probably like more. Well, they used to, when they played it live, when they were first writing all of this, it was a guitar jam that filled in there. And I have heard that on YouTube at some point. I can't remember where I couldn't find it again, which I liked more because it was quite funky. Because I think Pink Floyd are quite underrated for their funkiness. And especially on metal, for example, uh, on Echoes on metal, that's a very funky song, for example. Yeah. And I think that's one of the advantages of having your bass player as your major creative force, that you get high level of bass playing really turned up in the mix. So they often sound very funky, I think. Uh, less so on this album, actually. Uh, but they, the uh, what used to be there was this kind of quite funky guitar jam, which I actually preferred, but they, they weren't happy with it and obviously replaced it with On The Run. But apart from that, what are we? What are we, What do you think? I mean, what do we? What do we do here? Do we just go straight to tracks? I don't really know what to say about it. That hasn't already been said. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to go on too much about it because I'm sure. But I mean, it is obviously it's strong throughout. I really like the ending, the last half of side two particularly. Yeah, but but you know, it, it it's all good, isn't it? I suppose an interesting uh, observation here would be you start seeing Roger Waters sort of breaking free from the pack a little bit more. Whereas up until this point, the writing had been quite spread out, Roger slightly dominant, and the singing almost always, it's David Gilmore on vocals. Whereas on this album, Roger Waters writes all the lyrics. He's the dominant writer, slightly more so, especially on side two, writing Money and Brain Damage and Eclipse. And he does the vocals on the last two tracks. So it's it's not his first vocal by any means, but he's just sort of sneaking ahead a little bit now yeah true it's also the first concept album isn't it yeah first true fully beginning to end concept album and it is absolutely you know some is greater than the parts i mean it is the whole is is so much more than each individual so it really hangs together not just because of the heartbeat going all the way through it but it's just something about it is it just it's hard to actually listen to any single piece of it it really does kind of work so brilliantly as a whole. I think side two more than side one. I prefer side two. Yeah, I would agree with you. Interesting. 
I wasn't sure if you would. I thought I was being a tad controversial there, a bit edgy, but you just agreed with me, so... Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think so. It does all just go through seamlessly, doesn't it? It just doesn't stop. There are no gaps. And I think yeah. that, that sort of helps. It just it just feel like more of like a proper concept album, the way it, it just keeps going. Yeah, yeah. But And that doesn't feel forced or in any way unnatural. That feels like exactly like it should be. Yeah, yeah. There's no sort of filler to so to, no. uh, so to to get him get from one track to another. But it doesn't feel like yeah, and it doesn't feel like any of those are stumbles or unnatural. It just feels like nothing else could have flowed from the end of Breathe apart from On the Run or, you know, us and them just seamlessly goes into any colour you like. It's almost you can't imagine it any other way. Mm. It all just fits together so beautifully. How how the hell are we gonna pick two tracks out then, having just said you can't pick tracks out of here? <laughs> well, I was gonna suggest we pick Brain Damage and Eclipse. Ah, okay. Okay. Interesting. Because it is my favourite bit of the album. I do like that bit. Is it? Yeah. Well, I was, I was, I kind of love the run from Us and Them all the way through to Eclipse because I do like Any Colour You Like as well, which a lot of people don't. I mean, that tends to be one that gets put down a little bit. Um, but I really like Us and Them as well. But I'm, uh, yeah, okay, we can go with Brain Damage and Eclipse. Yeah. I mean, I agree about Any Colour You Like as well. I really like that. Just the way it floats, all the side two is great. Uh, money of course kicks off that side and that's just a you know brilliant song that I, i'm not entirely tired of either i this album i am slightly bored of it i wouldn't put it on very often yeah yeah i don't listen to it that much either i think because I've, I've heard a lot of it so much but i think you yeah. do end up being a little bit surprised every time you do listen to it at just how good it is yeah i think that's fair yeah especially songs like i think us and them is a particularly good song i mean it, it's I find that quite a moving song. I, I really do. It's a Rick Wright bass, isn't it? The piano of that, I think he wrote yeah. for... He wrote it for one of the soundtrack albums. I think it was Obscured by Clouds. I, I assume it may have been even been more. And they wanted to play it over a kind of a riot scene, but the the director didn't want it, so they kept it. And it turned it into Us and Them. And I think it's probably Rick Wright's high point. Much more so, I think, than Greg Gig in the Sky, which I actually don't like that much. Okay. That is quite controversial, I think. Yeah. It's not my like breathe. I, th- I think breathe's all right. I think on the first half time is the is the, by far and away the strongest song. Yeah, I think it is the strongest song. I agree. Um, I do like it all, so I'm not. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm nitpicking really. Yeah, I, mean, I do like it all as well. But those for me, the slightly weaker points. Whereas side two, I just think is untouchable. So we've gone for brain damage and eclipse. Yeah. And how are we going to rank this? Well, it's definitely in the top two here. It's just for me. It's like whether you put it above metal or not. Well, for me, you do. You put it above metal. I, I, I they have the big four, Pink Floyd, and I, I just think those big four are above. And I think metal's the fifth, and Atom Heart Mother's the sixth. I, I think that's for me is almost uncontroversial. Hmm. Okay. I've, I've showed my I've showed my hand, but I haven't told you exactly what order the big the big four are going to be in. Okay. Well, shall we move on then? They then started writing songs which were called things like Raving and Drooling and You Gotta Be Crazy, which ended up as Dogs and Sheep, but changed their mind and decided to do a concept album around around emptiness and a sort of tribute to Sid Barrett. So put those on ice and ended up recording Wish You Were Here with its sort of main opus being Shannon, You Crazy Diamond. What do you think of this one? Yeah, because I think the original, the original idea was to have Shannon, You Crazy Diamond as one half of the album and then have raving and drooling and you've got to be crazy as the other half yeah they just didn't think they fitted in with the theme and i think they made the right choice 
Yeah, although I'd quite like it if Shine On You, Crazy Diamond was together, because I, I think that is by far the highlight of the album. Yeah, maybe, but I quite like the fact that it's bookended like, the way it is, and I, and I do really like the much less heard second half as well, which is, they really, one of them, I think it's part seven, is or part eight, is really, really funky, and it's just absolutely brilliant. Mm. I love to put that on and, and dance around. It's just such a good track. Yeah. I do, I do, I'd rather they were put together, then you don't really have to bother listening to the other half of the album, which uh, I, oh, I, don't, I, oh, I can good. quite happily live without. I mean, Wish You Were Here is nice enough, obviously, but Welcome to the Machine I have never liked as a song. That's on side one. It is. And Have a Cigar I'm sort of more indifferent about. Well, this is interesting because Welcome to the Machine, I admit I don't particularly like it on the album, although I heard it live because I went to see Roger Waters fairly recently on his Us and Them tour. And I have to say, I thought, wow, that's really good. I'd never it opened my eyes to or ears to Welcome to the Machine because I'd never really thought of it as that great a song before. Quite experimental in its way, I think. Quite unusual song for the time, but I never particularly liked it. Whereas Have a Cigar, I really like. Again, I think that's a brilliant... Again, it's quite funky and I think that's a great song and I really like Roy Harper's vocal on it. And Wish You Were Here? I think it's an all right an all right quite nice pop song but i don't uh, you know if i know if i don't hear it again it's okay i'm not bothered again but maybe due to a bit of overplay but shine on i think is outstanding and i think just to sort of on the comment before about the sort of creeping roger watersization of the band again you see another little sneak a couple of steps forward here because he's the main vocalist suddenly on shine on and you've got david gilmore now relegated to just being on welcome to the machine and wish you were here as a singer, I mean. And Have a Cigar was going to be Roger Waters singing it until he felt he couldn't quite get it right. In fact, there is a version where uh, Roger Waters and David Gilmore are singing together on it, which is quite good, but not as good as Roy Harper's version. But you can see Roger again, just, just sneaking ahead of the pack again. Another couple of steps on this album, but still quite subtly, I think. Yeah, yeah. So the yeah, Roger is creeping in with his vocals, isn't he? So it's, kind of, it's more 50-50 here, isn't it, on this one? Yeah. And yeah. then obviously it probably takes over more as we go further on. Yeah, I think this, I mean, they were recording this in Abbey Road Studios and after this they build their own Britannia Row, which is where Animals, the next album, is recorded. And obviously Sid Barrett famously turned up whilst they were recording the song about Sid Barrett, Shannon New Crazy Diamond. But it was also around the time the band are kind of losing their way a bit because they've had the massive success of Dark Side and then they have the massive success of Wish You Were Here as, as its brilliant follow-up. And they are starting to fracture a little bit. They're getting distracted as well of sort of having a bit more money and doing their own things a bit and having kids. And so there is a kind of loss of focus a little bit with the album, with the band around this time, which is allowing the niche for Roger Waters to kind of become much more of a kind of explicit driving force as the others kind of sort of drift off a little bit. Yeah, that's about right, I think. Because I think David Gilmore especially has admitted to sort of being a bit lazy about contributing at times and i think rick wright basically is i think it's partly to do with his personality as well he he's basically apparently sort of withdrew slowly in the 70s and they basically kind of let roger take over but i think part of that was brought on by roger himself and he was quite sort of aggressive especially towards rick well i think i mean the seeds of it are happening now during wish you were here time as the band get lazier apart from roger and as Rick, you know, as you say, is a bit of an awkward personality. 
I think Nick Mason was just fairly an easygoing guy, but he was never really a driving force musically anyway. He was just a, a lovely guy to have around and to have in the band. But that kind of, when it works well, when you've got David Gilmour and Roger Waters both contributing well with Rick Wright, adding his sort of textures in there, this is the last album where you see that actually working. That's particular Shine On, of course, where it works, you know, probably the best it ever has. Yeah. But you'll see after this, you see all of that is now, following this album, you'll see it start, that all starts to splinter. But the seeds are here. So what tracks are we going to pick? Oh, that's difficult. Um, I don't know, because obviously the best ones are Shine On You, Crazy Diamond. But again, we'll be picking half an album. Well, I think we should pick the first Shine On You, Crazy Diamond anyway, just because it's such an iconic track. And I think it's just so good. Okay. And I quite, I, I would almost like to pick the second as well. But I think as a sort of better representation, we've agreed it's not Welcome to the Machine. Hmm. So I would probably pick the other one as Have a Cigar. But I don't think you would. I wouldn't, no. Would we you pick could... any track from side two? Well, I mean, I would pick. I think "Wish You Were Here" because I don't That's think okay we should pick. Me. I don't. I don't think we should pick all of "Shine On." And I'm, I'm not saying I prefer "Wish You Were Here" to have a cigar. Well, I completely disagree with you, but I'm okay with "Wish You Were Here." Okay. One kind of slight beef I have with Pink Floyd is the beginning of "Wish You Were Here," where it's on the radio and the radio tunes in, and then you hear the guitar start, but it's with the sort of echoey radio uh, voice. Yeah. And then you hear the other the, the other guitar, the live guitar, if you like, playing over the top. That's fine on the album. I think it's very effective. But when you play it live, you don't need to do that. It's okay just to play it slightly differently. And then when they did Live 8 in 2005, they did the same thing with the bloody radio. What's the point of that? Just play the bloody thing. Why did they have to copy it exactly as it was? Do you, do you know what I mean? Just play it differently. It doesn't matter. I think they do that quite a lot generally with their stuff they do and i I, and you know they've got so much technology and they still even when they play live they still fade tracks out sometimes and you just think like that's not what you do when you play live i don't even like fading out on an album no i don't you know if i was in a band i I would not fade anything out no it's like you can't think how to finish it isn't it yeah it's like a failure of imagination um, but yeah, I think obviously live music and, a, and, a, and an album are completely different beasts and they shouldn't try and pretend it, it is the same. Exactly. Yeah, they shouldn't have all the recordings and the and the bits that you do get on the album. I mean, it doesn't, mind, they, doesn't mean they shouldn't have any of it, but I think they should look, look at how they could do it differently. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, it just struck me at that moment watching it on Live 8 and thinking, and they were great on Live 8, I thought they were absolutely like, brilliant. But that, I just thought, why did you do that? Why didn't you just play it live? You just didn't need it. And I have seen them play it just live straight, and they're with two guitarists. And it, it's, it's it, fine. it does sound really good. Yeah. In fact, I think David Gilmore's more guilty of this than Roger Waters. I think David Gilmore in 2005 was the one in asserting, we have to do it as people expect it. We're not here to kind of muck about. And that's why you have Tim Renwick who was playing the, the, the other guitar on, at the time, playing through whatever effects he had to make it sound like it was coming out of a radio. Whereas when you see Roger Waters, when he did his like In the Flesh tour, for example, a lot of the versions were slightly different, and he did play around with them a bit more. Not massively so, perhaps. But it seems to me David Gilmore's the one who's a little bit more stubborn when it comes to sticking more to the original, or perhaps less imaginative, I don't know. But anyway, it's a very minor point. It's a cracking album, brilliant album, absolutely love it. I like every song on it, Welcome to the Machine, least. Yes. What song did you pick? Wish You Were Here. Wish You Were Here, yeah. Where are we going to rank it then? 
we are going to rank it below medal. <laughs> uh, no, but seriously. Yeah, below, in between Atom Heart Mother and medal. I, I, I don't understand this at all. For me, that goes at the top. Okay. So if you, if you compare medal and Wish You Were Here, they've both got incredible halves, as in Echoes and Shine On You Crazy Diamond. In fact, yeah. I think Shine On You Crazy Diamond is better than Echoes. Yeah. But if you then look at the other half, I think Medal does have a couple of outstanding tracks on there, whereas I don't think Wish You Were Here does. See, I, I would disagree. I think the other tracks on Medal, the, the good ones, are very good and I like them, but I don't think they're better than Have a Cigar and Wish You Were Here. I think they are. <laughs> <laughs> That's my clever Well, we have to argument. compromise. We have to compromise. I would put this top and you'd put it third. So it has to go second. Has to go above metal, but below dark side then. And this is gonna, this is gonna muck me around. This is my plans have all gone awry here. This was my favorite album ever for so long. And I, by the way, I think I also think it's their best cover up to this point by a long way. I really do like the cover. Yes, I agree. The cover is great. This was my favorite Pink Floyd album for a long time as well. Well, what happened? Um, I got older. Well, basically, and wrong and wronger. Yeah. Well, you know my. <laughs> Opinions change over over time. It is hard. I've said let's struggle with these a bit and trying to work out. Even when I was, um, you know, listening through to them for this, I did keep changing my mind quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, for me, Wish You Were Here is a top two album, but it switches places with the other top one all the time. But those four to me are clearly for me better than Metal and Atom Heart Mother. Um, which are just below, both of which I also love. So for me, there's kind of seven or eight albums that I really love of Pink Floyd, and the rest of them for me is much for muchness. Yeah, and I think I know which your your other top two one is. Well, we'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. Well, yeah, I think we are. But it really is splitting hairs a lot of the time because we really are talking about just such good albums at this point. This is and Pink Floyd by this point are so good. They go from Wish You Were Here to a much kind of darker and slightly less, well, quite a lot less commercial album, I think, and an often forgotten one in the in, in the Pink Floyd canon by those people that aren't, you know, big Pink Floyd fans, is Animals. Famously, the cover is Battersea Power Station with a pig flying over it, which famously, they actually flew a pig over it, although that's not the one in the photo. This is one they recorded at Britannia Row Studios, and you can really see what we were saying about the splinters in the band uh, coming really through here. This is an absolute much more dominated by Roger Waters. And the only other person writing on here is David Gilmore. Between them, they write Dogs, which used to be called Got To Be Crazy. And that's the only one David Gilmore sings on as well, because Roger Waters is singing on all the others. So Roger Waters is really kind of elbowing his way to the front here. It, it's The dynamic of the band is changing significantly. And I guess that's why it's a lot more political as well. Well, definitely, because Roger is, obviously. Yeah. And the, yeah. the others aren't really that so. They certainly don't wear it on the shirt like they um, Roger does. No. And it no. does it I does don't... seem a shame, I think, that the... I mean, it, I think everyone's to blame in this, but the dynamic letting Roger take over, I think, is a real shame. Because I think, like, when you said, when they do work together, they do, the music is, is a lot better for it. Yeah, yeah. Although I think, I mean, this, um, this this album is kind of, a, in a sense, a sort of a transitionary album, I suppose, as they sort of go from being a much more balanced Pink Floyd into a much more Roger Waters-dominated Pink Floyd for the next three albums. And this is kind of the transition one, I guess, transition album. 
because Dogs is very much a Waters Gilmore track. They both sing on it, they both wrote it, whereas everything else has a much more Roger Waters feel about it. Although Sheep was written earlier, that was Raven and Droolin. Initially, so this was written just a, just after sort of Dark Side of the Moon, so it is an older track. And you can hear that, it does sound a little bit uh, older, I think. Yeah. And also, one one thing that kind of really annoyed the band on this was Pigs on the Wing, because that was originally one song, but Roger cut it into two and put it at the beginning of the end of the album, which I think was the right creative choice. I think it works better. But it did then mean the royalties were divided much more in Roger Waters' favour, so he got 90% of the writing royalties because he, he officially wrote four and a half songs and David Gilmer only wrote half a song, despite the fact that Pigs on the Wing are like 30 seconds or a minute long and Dogs is 17 minutes long because they just divide up the, the writing royalties by the number of songs you wrote. Yeah, I mean, I hope the decision for that wasn't wasn't to do with money. It, it, this seems to happen with a few bands. I know we had it a little bit with Talking Heads, with people fighting over rights and royalties and stuff. And it just does seem such a shame. Yeah, I mean, I think in the case of Talking Heads, they had a case. People like Chris France, and who's spoken about it, has a case, didn't he? Because David Byrne did try and take the credit, whereas most of their stuff, at least before Little Creatures, was written by the whole band. Whereas I think here Roger Waters was writing this stuff on his own. And I think his decision was creative. And I think the right creative decision. I think it's Pigs on the Wing works really nicely as two little start and end things. Yes, I agree. I think it, it it does really improve the album. I just just hope that wasn't the decision or the, the reason yeah. behind the decision for it. And they should perhaps have come up with a different royalty system because it's not really that fair on David Gilmer. Although I, I think he's doing okay, isn't he? He's doing all right, yeah. yeah. Although they weren't particularly around this time. Uh, he is now. No, around I think this they're time okay was... at this point. I think it's, it's kind of around the time the wall that they, they actually somebody actually checked on the accountant and they realised they had actually no money. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was it was a bit after this. But at this point, they've just bought their own studio as well. So, and, and Nick Mason in his book Inside Out was saying that that changed the atmosphere and he didn't like it as much. He preferred the Abbey Road. He didn't particularly like Britannia Row as, a, as, an ex, as an environment, as an experience, or perhaps it was just the making of the album coincided with that. He found this a much more difficult period. But I think it combined with the, with the tension with Roger taking over more, doing more of the singing, the royalties thing we just mentioned, Rick Wright losing interest, David Gilmore doing his own. He did a solo album at this point, David Gilmore as well. And I think they were having kids as well. So you've got that kind of, you know, much more fractured band. So it was a less good experience, but they produced this brilliant album, which I absolutely adore. I love it. Mm. I like every song. And I think Dogs is probably, possibly, arguably, one of their best song ever, or at least one of the top two or three. Definitely up there with Shine On and Echoes. I love Pigs. I think that's just a brilliant song as well. And uh, a good example of when you shouldn't fade out. Because at the end, David Gilmore's doing some brilliant guitar work and they fade it out. And it's so frustrating because his guitar is so good on that. And it's so good on dogs as well. But they don't fade it out on there. Um, Sheep's good as well. Although in all three of those big three songs, they do have the kind of dip in the middle. Where you go off and then hear the relevant animal for a little, for like, you know, for, for a little bit too long. So yeah, I, I love this album. I think it's great. It's a bit darker, a bit a bit more inaccessible. But once you get there, I think it's a, a treat. What do you think? I largely agree with what you've said. I think may, maybe the dip to put the animal in is a way of sort of shoehorning the concept in. Because it, yeah. it's obviously it's not how most of the songs started out. And Pigs on the Wing was written at the end, wasn't it, anyway? So yeah. Um, so maybe that. But yeah, I mean, it's um, all the songs are good. 
I can't really say any more about from what you've said, to be honest. Well, let's try and pick a couple of songs then. I've got my obvious two faves here, which I think I've already said what they are. But what do you think? Um, so you obviously, you've got dogs, haven't you? What was the other one? Yeah, pigs. Pig. Okay. Pigs, three different ones. Okay. So I was going to suggest we picked a Pigs on the Wing and another one. Well, I, I mean, I do really like Pigs on the Wing, I have to say. it's, But I, I don't think it's substantial enough to pick when you've got these other big fellas in there really fighting, slugging it out in the middle. Yeah. You see, I would probably be picking Pigs on the Wing and Sheep. <laughs> right, okay. So we're but happy to negotiate here. I, I don't know. It doesn't feel like, you know, when, when you actually do a negotiation, what you have to do is you have to have what's called the zone of possible agreement. So there has to be some crossover whereby you the deal can be made so if you're selling me a car and your bottom line is five grand and my top line to buy it is four grand there is no negotiating there has to be an overlap of the circles in the venn diagram Mm. and we don't have any overlap here well we do have overlap in the fact that we like all the songs well that's another way of looking at it a more positive slant yeah that's me fella (laughs) I, i can't I I can't see, I I can't. Oh God! I mean, I can't not dogs. I mean, dogs has to. It's just so good. Dogs has to be there. Okay. So how about as a compromise? Because again, I was ignoring dogs because it's so long. So to get what about pigs on the wing and dogs? Then it's not taking up quite so much time. Uh, I, I I don't see how we can justify pigs on the wing. I mean, it's a nice little song. Sure, I, I do really like them, especially... I don't know which I like most, actually. I can't really... Probably the first one, but I don't know, because mm. they're more or less the same. I, um, I, I I don't know how you can turn down pigs or sheep. Well, I'm not turning... Well, such... I, said, I said sheep. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm okay with dogs and sheep. Oh, goodness me, how can you prefer sheep to pigs? What's wrong with you? Well, I'm happy with pigs as well. I like pigs. I like all the songs, in fact. But what are we going to do, then? I don't... How are we um... going to get out of this? So are you basically, God, this is not making a great podcast, is it? Well, we can cut this bit out, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we'll just, we'll go with dogs and pigs. Okay. So where are we ranking it? Well, you want the top, don't you? I put it top. Yeah. This is the one that switches places with Wish You Were Here, depending on what mood I'm in. Yeah. Let me just put it at the top for now. And then, because then it's obviously not going to be anywhere near the bottom. No, it's better than Umma <laughs> yes i don't think we need to debate that bit you see on my ranking i'm kind of deciding whether i have animals top or possibly metal right so i'm guessing if if it's there it may as well be top because it isn't yeah it'll have to be top i think okay well let's leave it there thinking about your because you have it top anyway don't you yes most days yes i don't think i don't have it above dark side or wish you were here Depending on what mood I'm in, I, metal sometimes goes above it. Okay. That, they, they, those two have been changing ranking while I've been doing this. So seeing as metal is fourth, we can't have metal down there. Sorry, can't have animals down there. All right, well, we're leaving it top then for now. Yeah. They then, after this tour, this is the tour where Roger Waters famously spat on a fan who wouldn't shut up when he was trying to sing Pigs on the Wing. And they are really sort of feeling that alienation, or Roger Waters is feeling that alienation from the audience, which was which uh, leads to the wall. He presents the wall as an idea to the band, but he also presents something which becomes the pros and cons of hitchhiking as another alternative 
to the band and the band choose the wall and saying it's feeling it's a much stronger concept they weren't that keen on the pros and cons which becomes roger waters sort of first solo album so they make the wall a double album massive concept rock opera there's an accompanying film which comes out afterwards and by this point roger waters in complete control uh, there's a few decent collaborations with gilmore uh, rick wright wants production credit but doesn't actually do anything and that is just the last straw for roger waters who ends up firing him so this is kind of the sort of last edge really of this lineup of pink floyd just coming to its end grinding to its end but it, they make a just this incredible album yeah and despite all of that yeah and it's a bit sad about rick wright because i think the you know, Roger's argument for sacking him for not contributing. You think, well, surely you should sack Nick Mason then as well, because he wasn't, he was doing just as much as Rick in terms of contribution, yet yeah, music. But he wasn't asking, but he wasn't demanding credit and the, the, the relevant sort of pay packet that you get with being producer. Whereas, uh, you know, Gilmore and Rick Wright were, as David Gilmore was doing stuff, but even David Gilmore said he was being pretty lazy. Yeah. I think he'd done another, has he done his second solo album by this point? He did David Gilmore in, I think, 1977. Then he did About Face, which I think was after this, actually. Yeah, I think it's after. It's into early 80s, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But he's sort of he's writing some stuff for himself, but he's not really contributing much. Roger's absolutely in command. He's working a lot with Bob Ezrin. It's really feeling like a very different band, the experience of being in it. And as I say, Richard Wright's being quite awkward, demanding to be a producer, but not actually doing any production. It probably wouldn't have been, been able to if he'd tried, knowing how dominant Roger Waters had become, but... Yeah, I mean, I don't think it sounds like, uh, you know, Roger had it in for Rick uh, sort of all the time and was sort of bullying him a bit, which, you know, it, I just think it, it's really sad that certainly when they had some success, it's like, you know, if if could have created a more open sort of atmosphere for people to contribute. And then maybe actually David Gilmore and Rick Wright would have both contributed a lot more. And I think it would have made the albums better. And I also yeah. think if it'd have kept the band together as well, you know, going forward, and just think, you know, something like, you know, Roger Waters' solo albums, how much better they could have been, particularly something like Amused to Death, which is actually pretty good anyway. And I just think if, if that had been made better by their contributions, I just really yeah. wonder what album that would have been. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's a really good point, and I think the same is true of David Gilmour's solo work, which is quite, I find, a little bit insipid and a little bit boring. But there's lots of really nice stuff in it and good ideas. And I think if that had been given Roger Waters' edginess, what that could have become. And and even kind of Rick Wright's solo album around the same time, although I don't think it's particularly good, I think the ideas in it could have been put into songs and it could have become... I think they, they could have produced some really nice stuff after this if they'd worked together. I agree with you. I, I think so. Because I think, you know, they talk about Rick Wright and David Gilmore being this kind of songwriter and I think to me they're not really songwriters they write some nice music yeah and, and Roger right. Waters kind of writes sort of half a song because <laughs> some of them don't yeah. particularly have even a tune in do they it's just him spoken word rant, isn't it? ranting on <laughs> him banging on about the war and his dad yeah and and it's yeah. kind of like you could have got someone in to write a tune for this and you know <laughs> and he had these people there to do that yeah I think that's exactly right I think that's exactly right. David Gilmour's not a songwriter, he's a music writer. And the same of Rick Wright, he's kind of more of a someone who's good at putting together chord progressions, but he's very good at that kind of stuff. And Roger Waters is this kind of, he's, he's a great lyricist, fantastic lyricist, brilliant at the concepts. Um, but yeah, not a particularly good music writer. 
although I think there are exceptions. There's some great solo stuff he's done. But you're right, I think combined, they would have produced some really good stuff. And I think we'll, we'll sort of maybe come back to that point when we talk about The Endless River as well, which I feel is a, a very interesting canvas upon which Roger could have painted and produced something really quite good. But anyway, we'll get there. What do you think of the wall? I like it. It's it's, it's strong, a lot stronger than I thought it was. Like in my memory, I say it's sort of a quite baggy and he could have edited quite a lot of it out. And then when I listened to it again, I did, I think I enjoyed pretty much all of it. Obviously, you know, it is very Roger Watersy and less Pink Floyd. I think Animals is probably the last true Pink Floyd album properly, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But this obviously does. I mean, obviously, you know, Roger was taking over control and that shows, but but it, it is still very good and there's some great songs on here. I was reading about Another Brick in the Wall Part 2, which was apparently just one verse and chorus and they weren't really sure what to do with it um, and Bob Ezrin was trying to get them to put a disco beat on it and Roger Waters was having nothing to do with it so I think he waited till they all went home and did that anyway and he stuck the disco beat on it and doubled it up and just put a little bridge in and then played the bit the next day when they came in and they really liked it and that's when I think they decided to bring the children in to sing the second verse because they realised they couldn't just repeat it again and again Well that's interesting, I didn't know that I mean, Bob Ezrin does kind of is writ quite large in in parts of the album. He even gets the songwriting credit on what is probably my least favourite track, <laughs> the the trial, which is to me is just pure musical. It's not a rock song. It doesn't belong on here. But if he did that to another brick, which is a, I think a really good song, then that's you know fair enough. He earned his money. Yeah, I think also he changed, in the flesh. He did the same. Not in the flesh. Sorry, run like hell. He did the same thing too. Well, that's one of the the few Gilmore Waters collaborations that, along with um, Young Lust and Comfortably Numb, of course, yes. probably the th- probably three of the best songs on the album, uh, along with a few others. Well, let's. I mean, what are the good songs on here? I mean, I think Another Brick Part Two, Mother, Young Lust. I quite like the One of My Turns and the way it sort of goes into Another Brick in the Wall Part Three. Hey You, I think is right up there. Comfortably Numb, Run Like Hell, probably my favourites, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I do. I like in the flesh. I like all three parts of another brick. Yeah, I do. Me too. He said one of my turns. Um, hey, you. I like don't leave me now as well. I like is there anybody out there? I kind of like that to have been the first track. I think it would have made a really mm. nice opener. Um, and I'd like. Uh, I think the album could have been called that as well. Is there anybody out there? I think that would have been a really good title and opening track. There's a few songs that I don't like, like. The sort of that feel like filler to me, and it's what you were saying about the hardly being a tune. You know, the sort of stop, um, the show must go on. Even Vera, which I think Roger Waters has said is his favourite. It's it's not mine. Bring the boys back home. They all feel a little bit. Eh. Goodbye, cruel world. Uh, what's that? The happiest days of our lives. They all feel like they they don't quite belong for me. There'd have been better ways of putting that all together. Because uh, I quite like a few of those. So like stop goodbye career world, but I get what you mean. I mean think like Vera and bring the boys back home and even happiest days of our life. So I, yeah, I think that they are sort of the, the filler, but there's not that much filler on you know a double album. Well, I I think it could have been a single album probably, but I do even despite these sorts of criticisms about the filler, I think it's it's still a very good, very enjoyable album. I think it's a bit silly in places, especially mm. the trial and. It's a it's a bit overblown 
it's I wouldn't say it's baggy, but there are bits. Well, maybe a bit baggy, but yeah. But I do really like it. At the same time, it, it's definitely, as you said, it's kind of t- it's too Roger Waters dominated. It's too too much in the direction of it being lyrical and wordy, and needed a bit more of the musical side of things. That when David Gilmour does bring and you can hear it, those songs are you know some of the best songs on, on the album. Yeah, definitely. So, what do you want to pick as a track? Well, I would probably say "Hey You" is my favourite song. So, I would probably say okay. "Hey You," and then I'm. What would you say? I'm sort of. There's kind of too many songs that I kind yeah. of like. I mean, I. You see, my problem is, see, I I'd like to pick another brick in the wall, but but no, well, no, two. no, all three kind of as an edit together because I really love that. But that doesn't exist. And I really like another. My favourite part is probably part one. Well, we we could do we we could we could sort of put part one and two together with I suppose you have to include the happiest days of our lives otherwise it doesn't quite flow. But we could we could include that and then put three on the end and call it a single track and break our own rules and then put Hey You. It's a double album, so it's kind of picking. Four so tracks. yeah, we could argue it that way. What say so you mean put the another yeah. bricks together? Put the three another bricks together and add Hey You on the end. I do, I do just want to say something positive about the song Mother, which I think is a really good song as well. And there, I've said it. That's that done. So that was your bit of positivity. Yep, I wanted to say that. I never, never liked it. Really? It's, it's only really quite recently that it started growing on me. Oh, but it was wow. always, it was for a long, long time, one of my least favourites. Wow. God, that's so strange. But anyway, I've said my positive thing, so let's rank the album. Yeah, it's a difficult one. Well, it is because you've you've put medal in. You've created the top five essentially with medal, and I would probably put it at the bottom of the top four of my top four. Yeah, but that pushes your medal down one again, which doesn't feel quite fair, considering your argument. So I would, in my list, it'd be sort of third or fourth, depending on the day. So you would have it above medal, below wish you were here on our list. It's because there's four tracks. It's taking me longer to move it, so I'm moving it up to sort of like the. Halfway. Halfway. Yeah. Like... yeah. See, it's difficult, you see, because me- medal is misplaced for me here, you see. Yeah. So it makes it a little bit difficult. If I took medal out of it, I would probably... Do you want it below Wish You Were Here or above? I would I would put it below Wish You Were Here, but I would also have... Well, anyway, whatever. Yeah. Where, where would you put it? I think we should leave it here then, below medal, because I, I would have it, I think here but i would have medal higher okay all right well let's leave it there then because then it's it's fifth so it's the bottom of the top five the big five yeah was i would have it forfeit in a big five if we if we're having a big five so okay all right so they go on and tour that which nearly breaks them and they find out their accountants been nicking the money anyway and so rick wright ironically is the only one who makes any money it's the wrong way around are they yeah, yeah, they they found out that they got a dodgy accountant and made dodgy investments, sort of while they were recording the wall, or possibly even before. So this was hanging over them while they were recording the wall, and they actually had to leave the UK for a year for tax purposes. So they weren't completely screwed. Um, and this was while they were recording. They actually they did make a loss on the wall tour, but that was they knew that is because Roger Waters refused to play in stadiums. And he insisted it had to be in arenas. But yeah, the financial irregularities came slightly before, so they knew about them Uh, before they were going touring. Which I think is also possibly why Rick Wright stayed in the band, because when they sacked him, 
he did insist on staying on the tour. So he was he was a paid musician, so he didn't actually get any of the losses. But he did he was on the tour still. Yeah, he was the only one who made any money out of it. Yes. Of the yeah. band, of the original band, the one who'd just been fired. So yeah, it was um I guess invisible to the audience that he'd been fired by this point. Yes, they didn't release they hadn't released it at this point. It was sometime after the tour had finished, I think, that they, they made a statement. And then they went on to make the film of the wall at some point in this uh, around this time as well, which I kind of echo, I think it was Steven Spielberg that walked out of seeing it at Cannes Film Festival and said, what the hell is that? And I kind of agree with that. As a film, I don't think it works very well at all. Obviously, the music's great, but as a film, uh, for me, it doesn't scan. It feels a bit all over the place, hard to follow, not particularly enjoyable experience. Do you Mm. have thoughts on the film? Well, I think, I don't think it's as bad as you say. I mean, it's, it's not overly pleasant to watch. Because it's all, you know, the that whole... Feel, that feels film. like an important part of a film. Yeah, well, I think it did. That's where it kind of falls down. It's kind of, I don't think it's that, you know, it's kind of put together in a in a reasonable way to follow it, you know, following the narrative of the album. But ultimately, it's quite a sort of, you know, depressing and unpleasant subject. And a lot of the imagery in it is not very nice as well. So, you know, you can't imagine sort of sitting down and watching it really for much much pleasure. No, but I mean, I think the story of the wall itself is a bit mixed up because I think the bit about him losing his father in the war and then that leaving him feeling sort of coddled by his mother and then this wall up around the world around him is all okay. But then the sort of bringing in the kind of fascism and the rock star side of it doesn't quite work with me. It feels like he's trying to tell too many different stories at the same time. It doesn't quite decide. And that to me reflects in the film, which feels, again, it's, it's just a bit trying to say too much and it's just all ends up being a bit incoherent because it's really just a, a long music video. There isn't dialogue. There isn't a you know, a story as such. Yeah. I mean, it is a mixture, isn't it? Of things that happened to him and that there's some, there's a bit of Sid Barrett stuff in there as well with the mental health and some of the bits happened to him, like the phone yeah. call home when another man answers the phone that actually happened to Roger Waters when his marriage was breaking down. He rang home while he was on tour and another man answered the phone and that's where that bit comes from. I believe that phone call is actually real. It's actually recorded of a real phone call that they made. It wasn't the phone call you're describing, mm. it, but it was. They set it up and actually recorded a real phone call, I believe. Yeah, they probably, well, knowing how some of the things they've done, that's not surprising. No, no. So the sort of spare songs from that period ended up being put together in a project that was sort of tentatively called Spare Bricks and then eventually became called The Final Cut, which was sort of their final album, at least with Roger Waters involved. So they're only a a threesome now. Rick Wright doesn't appear on the album at all. Loads of extra musicians do. The drumming is almost kind of, you know, Nick Mason, his name is on it, but quite frankly, it doesn't feel like a Nick Mason drum album. And even David Gilmore, he only sings on one track, Not Now John, and... You know, his guitar is on the song The Final Cut and a bit Not Now John, but you don't really hear much of David Gilmour on it even either. It really does feel and sound like a Roger Waters solo album. It feels like a com- complete takeover. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's got very... I don't think Nick Mason did play much on it either. David Gilmour had very little input on, on it, as, as you can see, that's more obvious. Um, so it is basically just a Roger Waters solo album, isn't it? 
Yeah. I mean, David Gilmore has said that Roger did keep saying to him, well, come on then, give me some ideas then. And he didn't really have any because he was distracted and lazy and which he's these are his words um, so he, he admits a certain amount of culpability for not contributing more and roger waters did offer to make it a solo album but uh, gilmore booked at that he wanted it a pink floyd album so again it's not quite all roger's fault but there is still that kind of controlling bullying side of of roger waters yeah i think it is a mixture isn't it because it's like a lot of this behavior i think is a reaction to some of roger's behavior as well so it's kind of a sort of a cycle of behaviour. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it is, largely it's two years in between each album, isn't it? So to then go to an album and have nothing to offer, you know, David Gilmore had written nothing or very little. Yeah, I think his, his solo in the final, the song, The Final Cut, is probably the only obvious, what sounds to me like a very obvious contribution, although he's not credited as a writer. It's entirely Roger Waters. Mm. And he sings Not Now John which feels a little bit more like a Pink Floyd song. The last two feel a little bit more like Pink Floyd songs than the rest of it. The rest of it feels much more Roger Waters stuff. Yeah. So um, what, what tracks are you going to pick? Or would you pick? I think I, I, I like Southampton Dock and Two Sons in the Sunset, which I both quite like both those. Okay. i not that keen on Two Sons in the Sunset. Again, that's kind of what well, this kind of doesn't seem to fit the theme very much. Well, I suppose it does because this the theme here is much more the kind of post war dream, isn't it? Hmm. And there's a kind of a bit of sort of anti Thatcherite political stuff going on. So the sort of Two Sons in the Sunset's the kind of nuclear, anti nuclear song. Uh, well, my favourite is by far the song The Final Cut. Um, and my second favourite would probably be Your Possible Pasts. But I don't mind Southampton Dock. I think that's quite nice and it goes well with The Final Cut. They sort of flow okay. into each other. Shall we just pick those two then? Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I feel a bit bad leaving your possible pasts behind because I do really like that song. But what are you going to do? There's not a lot we can do. So where do we rank this? That's a good question. I think I would put it below the wall. Okay. I would put it one further down. I'd put it below Atom Heart Mother, but it's certainly that kind of region. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree in the re- the region. I, that's what I was thinking was whether it should go above or below Atom Heart Mother. I'd put Atom probably put Atom Heart Mother above above it. But these are all albums I like. The Final Cut upwards on the list as it stands are all albums I really like. Down, Final Cut downwards are all albums that I can sort of take or leave. Really, this is to me is the kind of the cut off point here. Yeah, I would agree with that definitely. And the Final Cut's in the good side. It's in the good half. Although I realise that I do have the sentimental attachment that it was that first album I got. Yeah. So I think I'm happy for it to go below Atom Heart Mother, I think. I'm just a lot less familiar with Atom Heart Mother, I think. So I think that um, is probably why putting I will put Final Cut above it. But we're in the same area. Okay. So then you've got the kind of, after this, Roger Waters goes off and does his solo work. David Gilmore has, has, uh, and Nick Mason are sort of doing their own thing as well. And Roger Waters decides that Pink Floyd's a spent force and thinks that he's agreed that with the other two. It turns out that he hasn't, at least from their point of view. And they decide to crank up Pink Floyd again uh, around 86, 87 for a momentary lapse of reason and invite Rick Wright back, sort of not quite into the band for legal reasons because Roger Waters is now suing them for use of the name because he thinks it's it's Pink Floyd's is finished. So, But Rick Wright plays on the album. 
fact, probably more than Nick Mason does, who barely plays on this one either. But the uh, uh, David Gilmore does write the album-ish, but he uses loads of other people to help him write it. I think they feel a little bit lost without Roger Waters. And they've sort of said so since, that they found that without him, his leadership, they did struggle. And they made an album, A Momentary Lapse of Reason, which was probably the sort of album that uh, they released whilst we were both kind of very aware of Pink Floyd. And the rest of their stuff had always been in the past. So this was the first one that we kind of bought contemporaneously. And so I remember playing and playing it, desperate to like it. Did you get there? No, no. Did you? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, certainly in the 80s, I, I listened to it. A bit, not a lot. It was never like a favourite album or anything. But I'm, I did quite like it, I think, actually, at the time. I remember I, I did go back to it quite a few years ago, and it just sounded so horribly dated. It does, it sounds very 80s. Obviously, I've come back to it again now for this, and they've subsequently done um, done a remix of it, and it does sound a lot better. Well, yeah, with the, the later years box set... They released it without all that horrible 80s production on top. And Nick Mason went back and actually recorded all the drums and did play it because he didn't play the drums on half of it. So on the re-release within the later years, it's all Nick Mason's drumming and it's without the 80s crap on top. So it is a much better album. I agree with you. Yeah, because there's a, there's a 2011 remaster, which is kind of norm, is the generally available version. And then there is that version you said on the later years. And I think the, the the 2011 remaster is an improvement on the original. And then the, the later years box set version is sounds a little bit better as well, again. Yeah, but it's still a very limited album, despite these much improved remixes. For me, it's still a very limited album of separate songs which don't fit together necessarily and quite mediocre with some pretty bad stuff here and there with things like A New Machine... For me, it's pretty mediocre stuff all the way through. There's no, For me, there's no standout track. There's some quite nicer melodies here and there, but it's it's not Pink Floyd for me. It's just, it just hasn't got that spark that Pink Floyd had. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's really just a David Gilmour solo album, isn't it? And yeah. It is all right, but I think there is... Some of it feels a bit contrived. Like, you know, it's like Signs of Life at the beginning feels like they've said right we need to start with like a sort of slow instrumentally track a bit where they're rowing down the river a bit like shine on you crazy diamond and you know to sort of build up and it and then it so you've got that and it is actually quite nice is signs of life but then you go into learning to fly yeah which is just crap isn't it yeah (laughs) it's just just really is it's rubbish dogs of war i surprised me it it's kind of sounds okay still. I didn't mind that. And one slip is okay. On the turning away, it's very much like a David Gilmore solo song. It's kind of like all right melody, but it's a bit boring. Yeah. Um, yet another movie is rubbish. Um, a new machine is terrible. Yeah. Um, Terminal Frost I quite like. It does sound a bit like a car advert, but it's quite nice. Um, and Sorrow's all right as well. We're going to struggle to pick two here, aren't we? But unlike some of the previous problems we've had, we're now trying to sort of trying to find anything worth putting on a playlist rather than trying to pick between great stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, we could put Signs of Life on. And I think yeah. probably Sorrow is a... Well, it's very long now, isn't it? 
So it's long for what it is. It's not good enough to yeah. be eight minutes long, uh, nearly nine minutes long. I, I'm surprised you said yet another movie because I would have put that as one of the better tracks. No, I don't. I don't. Oh, I just think it's 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 sort of mediocre. Yeah, it's probably I agree. slap bang in the middle of there. If if you were going to rank all these tracks, which thank God we've not gone that far with the podcast, but yeah, it's uh, you know, it would probably be sat somewhere in the middle. What about one slip as a sort of poppier one? One slip's all right. Yeah. It's, it's it's sort of an easier melody to sort of hook your ears around. Was the rest of the, a lot of them feel quite dreary on this album, I think. Whereas one slip doesn't. It is a bit brighter. I just think it's, it's the lyrics are terrible. Yeah, and I think that particularly like in learning to fly, I think that's one of the one of the songs I just makes me cringe a little bit. Yeah, I agree. So we're going for signs. We're reluctantly kind of going for signs of life in one slip because we have to because that's the rules of the podcast. We've got to pick something, haven't we? With zero enthusiasm. Um, I'm interested to know where you'll rank it, though. Mm, me too. I'm not really sure. I know where I think it goes. I think it's somewhere around Piper at the Gates of Dawn. I put it just below the Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Above more yeah. below Piper. That's fine. I think I'm happy with that. Right. It's down Good. in the pool of albums that I'm not really going to end up playing ever again, I think. Yeah. Yeah, um, but it's just trying to work out sort of like how much of it is okay and how much isn't. So yeah, Piper Gates Dawn does have a couple of good tracks on, doesn't it? That I think I would listen to. Whereas I'm not sure I'd really bother going back to Momentary Lapse of Reason, even though it's not terrible. Yeah, I think I would probably more likely to listen to those tracks of more that we have picked there. Like Symboline, I think is a really good song. So putting it next to Symboline, I want to put more above it. But I don't think that's correct as an album when you look at the whole album. So let's leave it there. Okay. And the bands now, well, the band, the duo, as they are now, move on and play massive world tours, earn crap loads of cash, play Venice, play Nebworth. And eventually Rick Wright joins again. Roger drops his lawsuit. They kind of have a kind of a grudgingly sort of relationship again. And they get together and I think take a much more positive attitude with the Division Bell, where they get together, the three of them, Nick Mason, Rick Wright and Dave Gilmore, and just jam between them and try to write an album together as Pink Floyd, rather than David Gilmore's solo album with lots of his mates. And they come up with, I think, a, a different sounding album than A Momentary Lapse of Reason. But an album at the time I pretty much overlooked, because I hadn't enjoyed A Momentary Lapse of Reason, and by the time it was 1994 and I was listening to other things, I'd felt I'd moved on. So it's only one that I've come back to much later in life. Uh, what do you think? Well, I think when I I, read, cause I bought it in '94 when it came out, and I think I listened to it a couple of times and then put it away because I was uh, I don't know 21 and I basically had a lot better music to listen to at the time. And so I don't think I've really listened to it since. So coming back, I mean, it, I think all the things he said are true. It's like it does feel more like an actual Pink Floyd album. And whether you like it or not, Roger Waters isn't in Pink Floyd anymore, is it? So no, it is a Pink Floyd album in terms of. It's the music that you get from the remaining people. And it I think it's it's an improvement on a momentary lapse of reason, but it's not I'm certainly not in any way wowed by it. But there are, you know, a couple of nice songs on there, certainly three that I quite like. But they're not the you know, it's it's not amazing. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's just well put. I mean that's exactly right. It's not amazing, it's definitely better. At the moment, you lots of reason. It feels much more like a Pink Floyd album, but it's not a proper Pink Floyd album. It's not; it doesn't wow you. Um, but yeah, there's some good tracks. What are, what are the good tracks in your view? 
I quite like What Do You Want From Me, especially the bit at the end where it does go like proper Pink Floydy. Mm. I quite like Wearing the Inside Out and High Hopes. Yeah, I mean, High Hopes is the obvious standout, isn't it? That is a really good, that is a proper good song, I think. It's a bit wordy at the beginning. It's a bit awkward, the lyrics, but the actual song itself, I think, is just outstanding. The, the, obviously, the guitar bit at the end is just wonderful. Mm. I had Keep Talking as well, which I quite like, um, but I'm happy to go with What Do You Want From Me as the other track. Okay, yeah, I'm not into Keep Talking, so... It sounds a bit like uh, Pigs at the end. It's got some of the sort of animal-style uh, the sound effects on it. Maybe one of the reasons I'm drawn to it as well, but I, I actually think that's a pretty good song, Keep Talking. But this, I mean, this was kind of the theme that they were writing around was this idea of communication, and it was born of their kind of what they felt was a breakdown of communication with Roger and all the hurt that that led to. So that's quite some of the things like keep talking come from there and lost for words. Yeah, because that probably goes because like the, you know, in the next album, which is obviously bits outtakes from here, that's part of that as well, isn't it? The communication, like the first track's got that quote from Rick. Yeah. About how they don't communicate properly. He said that the thing's left unsaid. So I guess that's the theme here as well, isn't it? Yeah. Let's let's rank this first then before we move on to the Endless River. Where do you put it? So I think for me, I'm deciding whether it goes above or below Obscured by Clouds. I okay. Think, I think probably above. For me, it goes above Obscured by Clouds. I would also put it possibly even above Sourceful of Secrets. But I don't mind not doing if you want. Um, I don't, I don't have strong feeling on it. I mean, if you think it definitely should go above, we could. But if you're not that bothered, then we'll leave it. Let's leave it then. I'm not that bothered. So then that was 1994, and then there's like a massive long gap, and then they decide to rework the offcuts. They've all got off. David Gilmore does really well with his solo stuff. Uh, Roger Waters is, you know, doing his solo stuff. Obviously, there's no, there is the brief reconciliation in 2005 when they do Live Eight, but there's no, you know, proper reconciliation. Um, then Rick Wright sadly dies, so they kind of go revisit these offcuts and try and pull something together as a kind of tribute to Rick Wright, as much as anything, I guess. And they produce this, what's largely a kind of ambient album. There's only one song with any lyrics, which is Louder Than Words, the last song. And I think at the time they were thinking about releasing an ambient album alongside uh, 1994's The Division Bell and decided against it. So this is kind of, I suppose they eventually went back to that idea. What do you think? I know you refused to listen to it when it came out. (laughs) Yes, I did. So I'm very interested to know what you think. Well, I think it goes back to because I, you know, as I said, I, I really had no interest in the division bell. So I know that w- when they had the division bell, as I said, they did all of this jamming and they had apparently 63 or something like that tracks. And then basically by democracy, they round it all down to the album. And obviously this this is music that I think was within those 63 songs, but didn't make it. So you can imagine my enthusiasm. <laughs> Of course, yeah. Um, yes, yeah. Yeah, so I, I never listened to it. So I've only listened to it when for this podcast, and I've been hugely looking forward to calling it Endless Drivel. <laughs> but unfortunately, it's it's not. It, it's it is a bit better than that, and it's. Not, I mean, an ambient album, if that's what it is. I don't really know if it is ambient. No, I don't know if it is. I'm either. not an expert on that. It's obviously instrumental. Is it's never going to be wow me. I don't think but there is some nice bits in here i told you this is what i said 
Listen to it. It's surprisingly good. It's not that surprisingly good that you know be listening. Well, to it, it is a lot. based on it is based on those low expectations. Surprisingly good. I mean, yeah. I don't mean comparing it to the wall or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, there is some bits and bits. I mean, again, this is a double album, isn't it? And it's just like yeah. you know, and I don't think it should have been one. Maybe a you know, a, a single album would be would be fine. Yeah, and as I said before, I think there's enough really good ideas here that if Roger Waters had been pulling it together and putting his lyrical and conceptual ideas on top, I think it could have actually been a really interesting, really interesting album. Mm. So I did quite like Roger Waters' his, uh, album, Is This the World We Really Want? I did like that. I thought that was probably one of his yeah. best. And I think sort of almost sort of marrying the two things up, we could have got something really quite special. Yeah, it's also a bit more musical, isn't it? That it actually you can't accuse him of not having tunes in that on that one. No, exactly. Yeah, you can't. It's yeah. I think one of his best albums. But I think as a solo artist, I mean. Yeah, yeah. I would say second. I think "Amused to Death" is is the best. I I probably prefer it to "Amused to Death," but I don't think many people would agree with me. I'd probably need to go back and listen to both to have a proper opinion on that. Actually, but anyway, let's just focus on this. Yeah, it's on this one. So I think track one is the Things one that where said. it's got the the clip from the interview the, from the I think it's from the live at Pompeii filming when Rick Wright or they're, they're answering a question about the band dynamics and Rick Wright so Rick Wright's voice is the first on the album but it's really low in the mix and you can hardly hear what they're saying yeah which I think is a sort of a little bit disappointing and I think you know just turn it up a little bit so we can actually hear so I think that's a sort of missed missed trick there yeah, but there are but there are a few nice nice songs on here. Can you name some of them, please? I like um, it's what we do, which I think sounds a bit sort of like there's very sort of shine on you, crazy diamond D music in that. I think that's why I think the title of that is kind of a nod to that, that it's kind of the sort of obvious Pink Floyd thing to do. Mm. You know, like Division Bell starts with Cluster One, like Signs of Life starts on Moment Lapse. It's that typical Pink Floyd start. So I kind of think it's it's what we do is kind of a bit of a nod to that, saying, yeah, I know, this is our typical typical Floyd start song. But I agree with you, I, I really like it. I think it's very good. Ebb and Flow as well, which I think just sounds like more like dogs. Yeah. I'm trying to think what else I like. So there's the, that, is it Alon's Y, that one and two? Yeah, I like both of those. And is it Autumn 68, the organ? Is that the organ one? Yeah, that's the one where Rick Wright was actually playing the organ in the Albert Hall. Yeah. From 1968. So it's recorded from then. Which I don't particularly like, actually. I prefer the Alonsi ones. And I like uh, Skins, which you didn't mention, which is kind of mainly drums, hence the name, I guess. Skins. All oh, right, yes. I, I, I've got that written down, but not, not for the right reasons. Oh, right. You don't like it. Is that what you're saying? That's right. Oh, no, I was going to suggest that one. but okay. Yeah. Some I didn't like as well. No, I was less keen on some. Oh, no, hang on, no, sorry. No, I do like some and skins. I like both of those. Okay. I mean, I, I, let's put it's what we do on because we've both mentioned that. Okay. And then one other. Let's not do a double album thing with four of them on. Definitely maybe not. One of the, maybe one of the Alonsi ones. Maybe the first one. Yeah. I mean, I also, I, I, I'll keep going with my list of ones I liked as well. I liked Eyes to Pearls and Surfacing near the end. Okay. So any, any of those. But well, I'll put it's what we do on. Yeah, it's what we do, and then I like the, my, my next favourite bit is around the sum and the skins, and then the next favourite bit is around the Alonsis. Okay, so let's go for an Alonsi. Yeah, I mean, because they're quite short, maybe we could do our double album rule 
and put on both Alonses with some with the '68 as a, our little Rick Wright tribute. So we just put those three tracks in a row on because okay. they're only one and a half minutes each. Yeah, it's quite a short thing, isn't it? Yeah, Alonso one, Autumn '68, Alonso two. So where do we put the Endless River on on here? Well, my view is it would be between Division Bell and Obscured by Clouds. What was you? What is? Do you agree or no? No, sorry, below below Obscured by Clouds. Below. Sorry. I could probably go below Obscured by Clouds, but either side of Obscured mm. by Clouds. I think it, it's in the right area, so I think I'm okay with that. But I do quite. It's one an album that I might put on genuinely, and just because it doesn't distract me as well, and it's some. It's a nice piece of music to have on mm. in the background. Yeah, I tend to get I tend to get quite distracted by music and just listen sit and listen to it and forget that I'm supposed to be doing my work or whatever. But that isn't a problem with the album. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not sure that's such a good thing. But yeah, I mean, I think there is most of it is all right. There is a bit in the middle where I did drift off, which is so it's a sort of side three before the the Alonso the Alonso stuff. I was just yeah. Um, I cannot even. I could not tell you what that was like. Well, on Noodle Street is the only one I can because that is quite jazzy, okay. and that to me just feels like a bit of sort of jazz they were mucking around with, and they just it's quite nice. But it didn't need to get end up on here. There's nothing special about it. It's just a pleasant bit of jazzy sort of. It reminds me of kind of New Orleans when I sort of think about on Noodle Street. I say that like I've been to New Orleans. I haven't been to New Orleans. It's just my imagine. I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the ranking is in 15th place, Umaguma. 14th is More. 13th is A Momentary Lapse of Reason. 12th is their debut, Piper at the Gates of Dawn. 11th is their last album, The Endless River. And then 10th is Obscured by Clouds, their other soundtrack album. 9th is Division Bell. 8th is A Source Full of Secrets. And then a bit of a step up now to 7th, The Final Cut. Yep, 6th, Atom Heart Mother. My first number one album. And then fifth is The Wall. Fourth is Medal. Third is Wish You Were Here. Second, Dark Side of the Moon. And number one is Animals. Okay, so now it's um, we're a few weeks on from doing the list. How do you feel about this list? On the whole, I think it's quite a good list. It's pretty much the order that I would have said I think there's a couple of interesting variations in there from your opinion as well, especially around Medal and Wish You Were Here. But I think, yeah, on the whole, I, I quite like it. I kind of want to put A Momentary Lapse of Reason a bit further down, just because I've, it's just such a crap album. But that's um, the ones below it are probably crapper. But it just feels like that, that should just be lower. Yeah, I, I get that. But I think, you know, more and Umagumma are definitely worse. They are. It, it just feels like it deserves more punishment. That's all. But yeah, I, there's a couple of points about the songs on there that I think we need to just go back and, and, and check on. Because as you said, it's been quite a while since we actually looked at this. And I'd forgotten we'd put Wish You Were Here on there. And we both kind of agreed, oh, Muddy, it's because you didn't really like Have a Cigar, which is a brilliant song and you're wrong about Welcome to the Machine, which I kind of get. I'm I, I not, mm. not convinced by that song. Yeah. Well, it was two things, wasn't it? It was not liking Have a Cigar and also trying to keep the running time of the playlist down a bit. What is the time of the playlist? It's at the moment. It's two hours fifty six. So I think maybe we're um, shutting the stable door after the horse has gone. In fact, it's gone two hours fifty six minutes ago. <laughs> so we could perhaps review that and change some of the songs a little bit. I mean, certainly, wish you were here and medal 
I think we didn't pick the best two songs, definitely, with a view to just keeping the timings down a bit. Yeah, well, I, as you say, I, th- I think the timings things is has escaped us, and that's not our fault, that's Pink Floyd's fault for making dead long songs. And we bit the bullet with regards to that on Animals by putting Dogs on, which I think is inescapable. It's just such a great song. So, yeah, I'd be up for getting rid of Wish You Were Here and instead putting the second part of Shine On on there. I love the second part of Shine On. I just absolutely adore it, especially the, what is it, six to nine, isn't it? So it must be like seven seven and eight that I must love. Oh, is it? No, six and eight, I think it is. Eight's just so funky. And I think Pink Floyd are underrated for their funkiness. Roger Waters is a really funky bass player. Quite simple bass lines, but really kind of funky. And uh, that happens a lot on Animals, but I think really part, I think it must be part eight, going from memory, is is just wonderful. And, And part six is really good as well. Some brilliant guitar playing with David Gilmore. You've done it. Great. Yeah, okay, yeah. so we've put that on. So I think the other suggestion there would be to drop Fearless, I think, and put change that for Echoes. Um, I mean, Echoes is obviously the standout track from Metal, obviously. I mean, that is an option. We, we said during the podcast that I had an idea about that, and I was thinking because we always put an extra track on, we don't always put an extra track on, sorry, because we sometimes put an extra track on when we can justify it through legal mechanisms. Then I was thinking we could put Echoes on there, but from Echoes, the best of. Which is not not the, your best idea, because that's just taking it from a compilation. So you're underwhelmed, aren't you, by my idea? Yeah, well, I think your, your argument for that one would be fall, fall flat on its face. I mean, you, we could perhaps get away with a live version but there isn't really a Pink Floyd version of it. It would have to be a David Gilmore one. Well, there was a live version on Live at Pompeii, but that's not on Spotify. Yeah, but we could save all this embarrassment by just putting the actual original version of Echoes on and replace it out, I would suggest, with Fearless. I don't know if I would replace Fearless or if I would replace one of these days. I don't think we can justify bringing David Gilmore. I mean, there is Live in Gdansk on uh, Spotify and that version of Echoes is, is brilliant but I don't think we can quite justify that because that's really is breaking the rules going into one of the members solo work even though Rick Wright also plays on that so it's kind of two of the members it's half of Pink Floyd or two thirds of Pink Floyd by then of course because Roger Waters has gone hmm. but I don't think we can quite justify that I think we'd be open to legal challenge I mean to be honest you know if you think if you look at the playlist at the bottom you've got to listen to two tracks of a momentary lapse of reason, then two from more, then two from Mumbagumma. Well, no one's going to get that far, are they? No, it, it, it's, I think, impossible. So, I mean, I, the so, reason I was kind of thinking to keep Fearless is I, I think Fearless is a really charming song and it's quite different, whereas One of These Days is, is a good song, obviously. I kind of think, I think I probably prefer Fearless, even though it sounds more dated to me. One of These Days sounds a bit more timeless, but Fearless does feel a little bit dated and it's kind of got that slightly tinny production. But I still kind of like it. I think it's just such a... It's just different. It's charming. It's its something different. So I, I would probably argue for Echoes and Fearless. I mean, because I, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, one of these days is is one of my favourite tracks. So I would not... And I really do like Fearless as well. But I definitely prefer one of these days. So if we were to change out Echoes, I would definitely want Fearless to be the one that went. You know, seeing as fit, metal is quite low down. And it, it's your fault it is quite so low down because I'd be having it definite top two if it was up to me. All right, well, okay. I, I was just trying to think where 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 else could I sort of, if, if I give in on this one, can I crowbar in some of my choices somewhere else? 
the only other sort of thing in there was Southampton Dock on the final cut where I was kind of wanting your possible pasts, but I don't feel strongly enough about it. So I'm not too worried about that one. I just wonder if the, moving on, we could think about, is there a case for an extra track? And I think Pink Floyd have done quite a few extra tracks which aren't on the albums. So I suspect there probably is a case we can make for either an early single, which didn't make the albums, uh, which a, a lot of which were collated onto Echo, uh, no, Relics, sorry. So there's a few things like that, Arnold Lane, See Emily Play, those kind of things. And then there's also When the Tigers Broke Free, which was in the wall but not on the album and ended up on the Echo's Best Of soundtracks. There's at least a couple of things there which are extra album. Yeah. When the Tigers Broke Free is now bit he's now put on um, the final cut. Oh that's true. It is it is on that version of it, isn't it, as well? On the later the newer versions, not on the original version. No, no. I mean Relics, obviously, there's um Biding My Time is a great song. Well I was to see it you've spoiled my big surprise because that's what I was going to suggest because I love Biding My Time and it's such an un-Pink Floydy song. It's just not Pink Floydy at all. It's just this big sort of jazz crash bang thing. I just think it's brilliant. I love it. I was going to secretly introduce that at the end and you'd go, oh, I didn't think of that. But you spoilt it by thinking of it. Oh, right. Sorry about that. Shall I just put it on then? Because it, it is great. Yeah. No, please do. Yeah, that's okay. And that's a reason to actually persevere through the bottom parts of this i think i think the playlist becomes is very listenable until signs of life which is which is fine signs of life is perfectly perfectly nice piece of music albeit slightly overlong for what is a sort of fairly limited number of ideas and then you get into one slip which i think is is a bit crap but cymbaline is nice and then it gets a bit dodgy we're really struggling for Gummer. So you've got a bit of a reward if you make it all the way through that crap at the end to get to Biding My Time, which is a which is a belter, I reckon. Yeah, I mean, obviously, by picking the best tracks, it's actually all right. But, I mean, Umma Gummer is just such crap that there isn't really a best track, is there? No, no. I mean, unless you include the live album. If you do include the live album, the actual the album shoots up the list because the live album is really good. But because our rule is we try to ignore live albums and just look at studio output, that's why it's ranked there. But the live album, it does have some really good stuff on. Yeah. See, that would be right for an extra track. Wouldn't it? Yeah, but we're not going to do it because we've picked Biding My Time, which is which is great. But yeah, we could have done, couldn't we? Careful with that actual gene, which doesn't actually appear anywhere else, for example. Mm. Or oh, I, I do really like the Astronomy Domini on there. I think it's, it's it's better than the album. It's really good. Would you want to stick that on as well? Um, What did we put on from Piper? Astronomy Domini and Bite? No, let's not. Yeah, yeah, we don't want two versions of the same song. Although our rule was on double albums, we put four songs on, but and Amagummer is arguably a double album, but I think we're we're playing with fire if we're going to start putting that on there. I don't think we can argue it as a double album when one of the albums is actually excluded. True. Good point. Okay. I think it's right for an extra track if we want to, but yeah. I don't think we could put four tracks on. No, you're right. You're me. right. That wouldn't that wouldn't wash. The other thing that I kind of felt we neglected in the conversation, as we often do because we forget, is actually the, the covers. And obviously Pink Floyd covers are quite iconic. And we sort of mentioned them in passing. But things like the Dark Side of the Moon cover, which is obviously has spawned a million billion T-shirts, I think is a really overrated cover. I just think it's all right. I don't quite get what all the fuss is about about that cover. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of agree. I've always kind of felt that. I mean, it's, it's a perfectly nice cover. I don't start slagging it off, but I don't think, you know, it's quite distinctive and... What's the word I'm looking for? 
probably just distinctive. But anyway, but it's, it's like I get that. But I do think it's like Animals and Wish You Were Here are much better covers. Oh, completely agree. I think Wish You Were Here is a great cover. I really like that with the. I think it was shrink wrapped with it with a different cover, wasn't it? With a sort of the black shrink wrap with the sort of mechanical shaking hands, but with the with the guy on fire shaking hands, mm. at what looks like a studio lot. I think that's a, I think that's a great cover. Yeah, I think it was a studio lot. And then, the, and this is another ex, ex, example of one of Storm Ferguson's album covers where you think it's somehow been photoshopped, but he has actually done it. You know that there is a man on fire shaking somebody's hand, as there is a pig flying above Battersea Power Station. Well, well famously there Although was. Well, it kind yeah. of is photoshopped as well. Yeah, I was going to say, famously there was a pig, but then they preferred the sky on the other one, didn't they? So they actually ended up photoshopping it in, or the equivalent of photoshopping in 1977. Yeah, so it's a combination of two. But it has that, um, you know, he did a couple of covers for Muse as well, like the Absolution cover, and those shadows are genuine, apparently, where he could have probably just computer-generated it as well. So, Well, certainly by then, yeah, because you're talking about, you know, 2000 and something. Early two thousands, yeah. But even even like the um, momentary lapse of reason with the beds on the beach, there are actually six hundred beds. I think it is actually laid out on the beach. You know, it isn't. They've, they haven't just copy pasted a few beds. No, they put the whole bloody lot out there. And you've got to do that obviously while the tide's out. So that's a, a tough day's work, to be honest. To do that, it's yeah. a good cover, I think. Mm, it is. I like the cover, although it is very eighties in the fact that there's that horrible border and the. Pink Floyd writing on it is actually horrible. Yeah, but the photo itself is really the photo is good. But I think I kind of felt Gilmore era covers to me they lost the touch a little bit, and even though they're they're not bad by any means, and the, like Delicate Sound of Thunder, where the, the the live album where the guys with the light bulbs on him, Division Bell Pulse Pulse, I quite like the cover of that actually, and Endless River, they all feel a little bit like they're kind of a bit too self consciously Pink Floyd covers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think I mean Division Bell, I think was Stormfogers again and again it looks fake but it is real they did make those heads and put them there and it's a photograph but it looks fake Pulse is alright Endless River does I think feel a little bit self-conscious as to try and be a Pink Floyd album but I, th- I think the album itself is not really is not really a Pink Floyd album as well and they shouldn't really have well, have, have done well, it. This is... it it is just a bit of extras and I, I think their original idea of having sort of a second making Division Bell a double album I think would probably have worked better I mean, as we said during the podcast, that without Roger Waters, you've got people that are very good music writers, but not songwriters, and they're not lyricists. So they're very good at kind of coming up with nice chord progressions and, you know, bits of music here and there, albeit a little bit kind of ambient and woo, not quite edgy enough. And I, I, I kind of think where they fell down when Roger Waters left was they tried to write songs and they're just not very good at it. And they'd have been better off just trying to write music and then kind of assembling it in a in a lab, a bit like you know talk talk did when they did spirit of eden they assembled it in a lab just from lots of different musical ideas and they produced this work of genius and that was around the same time 1987 ish so i kind of think they should have done something similar and just tried to cobble together their various musical ideas and then i think we might have we might have had something worth listening to because i think there's enough salvageable in the endless river to have made a really nice album yeah but I don't. It, it doesn't stand well on its own, does it? As it is. No, it, it's quite a nice thing to put on though, if you like working and stuff, because it doesn't particularly distract you or anything. And it's quite. It, it is an ambient piece, so it is quite nice. But yeah, it's obviously it doesn't stand up as a you know a band of, of Pink Floyd's greatness. It doesn't stand up anywhere near as as well as a lot of their other albums by any means. Although we've put it above Piper. Going back 
to our list a little bit. Now, those top, is it five albums or whatever? They are reasonably interchangeable, aren't they? Because I think Dark Side of the Moon could be top. I think it's only just a... I mean, for me, it's just some of the sort of quite simple lyrics that I think lets it down. I think possibly a little bit of overplaying as well with some of the songs. But I just find, you know, the lyrics, I think, are uh, not Roger Waters' best. Some of it's a bit too... It's a bit too sixth form poet in places, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think just this breathing the air and time and money and... I, I, I think you've been slightly harsh on it there. I mean, I, I do think the lyrics of Brain Damage and uh, Eclipse are very good. And us and them are, uh, us and them are a little bit, again, a little bit obvious, I suppose, in places. But there's some quite nice lyrics in there. Money's... Uh, th- there's some terrible stuff in there, like money is the root of all evil. You know, I mean, that's just that's just dreadful. But I, I don't think that's true across across the board. I think some of the relics of the time are quite nice. I don't think it is a bit naive sounding in places, but I certainly wouldn't think it's bad. I mean, the, the reason I wouldn't put it top is just because it's an album I've just heard too much and I'm just a bit bored of it. But it is, you're right, it is kind of interchangeable. And, it, and even going down a bit, we put Atom Heart Mother and The Final Cut as the next two, which I think is dead right. I think that's exactly the right order. They're still worth dipping into. There's still stuff in there that I really enjoy, even after decades listening to those albums. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I would bother listening to anything below that particularly. Maybe just odd tracks. Yeah, I think that's true. But of that top seven, Dark Side is the one I would put on least, but not because it's not great, just because of overplay. Yeah, but I I agree. I mean, I wasn't saying it was bad in any way, and I purposely suggested Brain Damage and Eclipse as the tracks for the playlist because they certainly do not fall into the naive lyrics area of the album. But I do think all, all the other, like Wish You Were Here was my favourite album for quite a while. Metal probably is my favourite album. And The Wall, I think, is, is really good. I mean, it would be a lot better if it was a single album rather than double, which I think a lot of people would agree on. But I yeah. don't think most, but then we'd all disagree on which tracks you take out. I don't know, possibly, because I mean, you, you're very limited of a single album, obviously, in terms of only having that kind of 45-ish minutes. So yeah. there isn't really a lot of choice and there's some obvious filler on there and then there's the trial which is like a musical as i said in the in the main podcast and i just can't stand that there's no subtlety whatsoever at that point yeah i don't think there's any need for it to be on the album i mean it's within the film it kind of fits the narrative but there's no need for a film the film's shit well apart from that but with if you're watching the film it fits because it fits the narrative but i mean but... If, if this had just been the story of, you know, Roger Waters on the Animals tour, the band aren't getting on particularly well. Roger Waters is keeping himself very distant from the band. He's feeling increasingly alienated from the audience that are setting off firecrackers in the middle of his song. He's trying to sing Pigs on the Wing or something and someone's throwing bangers at him and everyone's chatting away. So he's like spitting on the crowd at the, I think it was Chicago Soldiers Field concert. And and this kind of makes him feel very... And I think he had, he had to have an injection before because he was having... Um, hepatitis or something and he was, he couldn't move and he was given an injection so he could go on the sh- go on with the show so you can sort of see a lot of the stuff in the wall about how they, he felt alienated and distant and the the, the comfortably numb story of the, of the injection so a lot of that you could sort of say well that, yeah great you know that feeds into this wonderful album the wall but then why, why have we got all this stuff about the bloody war can't that just be the final cut can't you just do two albums one about you know you lost your dad war yeah okay and this other one that's about the alienation that that you feel and the wall surrounding you, etc. You know, come on, don't mix them up and fill it up with bloody filler and a song like The Trial. I hope Roger Waters isn't listening to this, by the way, because I really like Roger Waters. I hope he won't like me now. So 
Sorry, Roger. I think you were great. I saw you in Madrid recently. You were brilliant. So please don't be angry with me. Please like me. It'd be even crosser now, though, wouldn't it, with the people talking? Because I think people talk at gigs more than they used to. Well, and with their phones, of course. They spend all the time bloody filming it rather than actually experiencing it. But I think Roger's mellowed a bit since then. I also imagine, though, when you're in some massive arena, you're probably not as aware of it as much either. Well, I think that happened when they were, they were playing stadiums in the, the US. They played arena tours around Europe and then, and the UK, and then they played stadium tours around the US. And I think that's where it got to the, this peak of feeling very alienated because I suppose it's an outdoor venue. People were more comfortable throwing fireworks around. Mm. It doesn't sound to me like a, a good thing to do. but no. I don't get that. People throw bottles as well, don't they? And I just don't really understand that. Why would you go to a concert to throw fireworks and to throw deadly weapons at the band? You know, it, it seems like a very odd yeah. thing to do. Or other people. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously less importantly, but, but uh, yes. But you're, you're, you're generally there to see the same band as well, so yeah. it's kind of like, why do you want to hurt another person? Especially a band like Pink Floyd. I mean, they're not sort of, you know, there are bands that are, are kind of about listening to music, you know, taking your time listening to songs that slowly unfold i mean david gilmore's guitar on things like shiny crazy diamond it unfolds so slowly like three minutes in i think gilmore's played about four notes and you you're still completely transfixed because he's such a, a great guitarist it, it's brilliant but it's not the sort of thing where you demand it's not like a metallica concert where you go along to have a mosh and a headbang you know you can't you can't mosh about to shine on your crazy diamond i wonder if you might actually be less likely to get it at something like a metal gig because metal fans tend to actually be really chilled out well possibly they get the regression out on the music i think oh maybe pink floyd fans are getting all pent up thinking play another bloody note would you (laughs) (laughs) can't wait any longer all that time on the edge of the seat pink floyd were definitely my favorite band growing up so i've really enjoyed this conversation and really sort of revisiting a lot of these albums and thinking through what order to put them in and, you know, what songs to pull out. So it's also really interesting to hear your point of view as well. There is one area we haven't touched upon yet. What's that? The research material for the podcast. So I read the book Pigs Might Fly by Mark Blake, which was really good. I read Inside Out by Nick Mason. And how was that? Well, as is typical of Nick Mason, it's very honest and quite sort of amusing. He's a funny guy, is Nick Mason. And he's sort of enjoyably self-deprecating for especially such a pompous band as Pink Floyd. He, uh, he, he, you know, brilliantly bursts the bubble and, and kind of exposes. It's obviously his point of view, but it's definitely worth worth reading. It's really good. Yeah, the Mark Blake book is very good as well. Obviously, it's more of does go through the entire history. I mean, there's quite a lot out there and there's quite a lot of documentaries on YouTube and stuff as well. And I've watched a couple of those. So there, there is quite a lot available on Pink Floyd these days. Yeah, there's a few... Um few documentaries on amazon i watched the making of dark side of the moon sort of fairly recently which is which is good and it makes it a bit sad as well when you see actually how sort of well they managed to get on and work together to make that album and then knowing kind of what what became of them really and the fact that they can't seem to keep it together they're only making basically 35 40 minutes of music every two years and you just think hold it together guys and you actually could have actually i think done a lot better and I think Roger Waters would be better now having the other fellows there telling him when to rein in the politics. Yeah. You know, I watched I watched a bit on YouTube recently, the, um, a version of Dogs from his last tour. And it's just like, you're saying, you know, rein the politics in a bit. And, you know, the guy singing, it's, it's not, it's just not the same. It's not. Well, I was at that tour and 
he played Th- Theos and them tour. Yeah, he played uh, pigs three different ones and then dogs or the other way around. And pigs three different one was very tuned towards and Trump, uh, so a lot of kind of anti-Trump sentiments. And then dogs mm. as well, of course, is a very political song. So, but even I am I'm quite politically sort of aware, aware and interested. Even I was kind of wearying of it towards the end, thinking, you know, you know, turn it down a bit, Rog. We're here for the music. We're gonna have a, a bit of a sing song, and it did sort of. You just think, oh, come on. So I think, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you listen to Roger Waters' most recent solo album. It's pretty good, but with Dave Gilmore on there, I think it would have been better. And if you listen to Dave Gilmore's solo stuff, he struggles to sort of give his songs that edge and make them that interesting. But they're, they're quite beautiful, but they're just not particularly interesting enough. And together, I just, you know, when when they clicked, I, you know, it that that's when it works. You can only you can only do so much on your own. But then bands can only last for so long when you have different strong personalities in there. They can't last forever. And, they, you know, you can't be compatible forever if you've got people as strong-minded, as strong-willed as Roger Waters and, and people like Dave Gilmore who wants his own space to do his own thing and just doesn't want to have to fight all the time. Yeah, I think they probably they were successful enough, though, to be able to give each other the space. I mean, having listened to David Gilmore's album, you know, the On an Island and Rattle That Lock, they're both incredibly dull. I find them in, unlistenable. Roger Waters stuff is better, but I do think you do miss David Gilmore playing on them. Although on that Dogs track, I don't think the I don't know what the guitarist is called, but he is very good. Oh yeah, of course. And but, you know, from the from the awesome Men, I, I was sort of surprised at how because normally when you watch Roger Waters stuff, you sort of you do consciously miss David Gilmore, which I, I didn't feel I did watching that. No, I as I said, I saw it live and I, and I didn't, and I saw him do the Wall live as well a couple of years before that. And again, I mean, obviously you're kind of very aware of Gilmore's absence at the obvious points, like Comfortably Numb and stuff. But at the same time, I, I'm not a massive fan of, of David Gilmore singing. So I was quite happy with somebody else with a similar voice singing. It doesn't, it doesn't matter too much. Uh, but obviously, hanker back out of nostalgia more than anything else, perhaps. You kind of think, you know, this is my favourite band for growing up. These are two musicians that I, you know, really greatly admire. I'd kind of like them to get together again and do stuff because I think they are better together. But I think that ship has sailed. Yes, yeah, quite a while this ago. This chapter, musical chapter, has closed. And we must accept that. As this podcast must close. Yes, how about now? Right, stop. Stop. We just, we forgot a really obvious thing, which what? is a bit embarrassing. We We have previously put on live tracks if they're exceptional and we have forgotten to put on or we didn't forget we chose not to put on comfortably numb when we did the wall but comfortably numb live with the guitar solo it feels like too glaring an omission so could we put on the one from pulse on the bottom of the list underneath biding my time yeah i think that was going to be my question next was like which version but i think pulse is definitely the the better of the two live albums isn't it by far yeah, and I think that version tends to be regarded as the definitive one, the the really good version. So let's just bung that on. Right, okay, done. Right, now the podcast is finished. <laughs>